Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome to another week of the Live Life Aggressively podcast with my man Mike Marler and myself, Sincere Hogan. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. I'm really excited about today's guest. Yeah, awesome guest. I was really excited. We have Dr. Kelly Lambert, although she likes <laughs> to be called Kelly. So that's not yeah, just Kelly's fine. No, she's not one of those stuck-up PhDs that have to throw that doctor <laughs> No, not at all. And uh, she's the author of a fantastic book called Lifting Depression. And this is a book I read years ago, and I, and I quoted it several times in my book. And it's one of the books I recommend at the very end because she's got some very interesting ideas on why we're more depressed today. People are just a higher percentage of people are much more depressed today in our modern world. And what are some of the things that can possibly alleviate that, help that? So, Kelly, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for the invitation. It's great. Awesome. Thanks. Now, you talk a lot about the connection between how our world has become very automated and mm-hmm. tasks are a lot easier and how that may be a contributing force to depression. Can you get right. into that a little bit more about how doing physical labor with an end goal can actually help with possibly alleviating depression and improving your mood? Right. I was... What led me to this, I was writing a kind of a, a traditional, boring, nerdy textbook on uh, clinical neuroscience, kind of a brain textbook. And right. when I was writing the chapter on depression, nothing was really clear. It was just frustrating. Have we really changed in these neurochemicals like serotonin? We haven't mute Our species hasn't mutated in the last right. 100 years. What's right. really going on? And we didn't have other, you know, better things to really offer, and a lot of people were suffering. So after I finished that textbook, I just went back to the drawing board to look at the symptoms of depression and go back to the brain, which is my drawing board, being a behavioral neuroscientist, to see you know, what, what areas of the brain are, are involved with um, a lack of pleasure and la- you know, inability to concentrate and not being excited about things like you were and maybe a slowness in your movement. And uh, so I started to map certain areas, and there were two or three areas, but, but one area that is connects to this pleasure center of the brain called the nucleus accumbens, a little peanut-sized structure that's uh, psychoactive drugs that are addictive tap into that because it kind of you know, um, goes in disguised as something that's good for us, and, and people, of course, get addicted to that. Addicted to that. But um, this little area connects in a big way to a middle part of the brain called the striatum that's involved in movement. And when you look at the brain in its entirety, and I kind of talk about the brain's real estate, that huge middle part that's involved in movement and then motor cortex on the top part and involved in movement, the part that hangs off the back called the cerebellum, which has more neurons than the whole rest of the brain, involved in coordination and movement, it tells us, the brain tells us that movement has been incredibly important for our species and for survival. And so it's interesting to consider if you take one of the major things our brain was evolved to do away. And, you know, I work all day, but a lot of that work is sitting in this desk chair like I am now. I'm not engaging in a lot of movement, Mm -hmm. and I'm not even doing a lot of meaningful – I mean, I'm typing, but I'm not, like, creating anything or or building. or So the brain could not – you know, it's probably not very impressed with what I'm doing every day, but you start – diminishing that, it makes sense that you're not engaging the brain the way it was designed to be engaged, and all those symptoms start to make sense. Uh, So it's bringing activity and movement into the depression formula in a way that I hadn't seen anyone else bring it in and and looking at the neural connections. So this truly supports the the phrase that movement is medicine, huh, Kelly? (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
now, you take it away about, and you feel the effects. Yeah. Are we talking about any physical movements, such as just working out, running, lifting weights, et cetera, or is it something more where there's a goal you're trying to achieve? Maybe you're building a garden or you're sewing a sweater. Right. That's a great question, and both are important but in different ways. So in the book, right. I'm, I'm, I emphasize the hands and movement because a lot of that motor cortex is um, devoted to the movement of our hands uh, a lot more than even our whole entire legs or back because we have such sensitivity and dexterity with these hands. And so I, I talk about something called effort-driven rewards. So if you're using your hands and integrating that information and thinking about a problem, as you, you know, if, you're, if you're cooking, if you're following recipe, if you're right. building something, or if you're mm -hmm. planting, so that you can see that end result. And if that end result is meaningful and valuable to you, um, then that reinforces the notion that you have some control over your environment. So that starts to diminish one of the common denominator of, of almost all mental illness, and that's stress, chronic stress and anxiety. It's just toxic to um, the health of the neurons. So the, right. the effort-driven rewards, and I can talk about some fun rat studies that, that supported that, that's important for gaining a sense of control, meaningfulness, uh, kind of therapeutic in that way. Exercise in general is also wonderful. Um, even though you may not have a, you may have a goal, but it's a little bit more subjective. You've accomplished right. something. But anytime right. you're you're exercising, you're increasing oxygen to the brain. You're enhancing what we call growth factors in the brain. If I could bottle anything that enhanced neuroplasticity, it would be exercise. If you want to increase with this neuroplasticity, where you get new neurons in the brain or you get growth of neurons, the one thing that has been most influential in rodents, and that's where we've done most of the scientists have done most of the research, right. is putting them in a running wheel and just running. And that doesn't seem you know, incredibly <laughs> impressive for building a brain, but it <laughs> is. Uh, so that, you know, that oxygen the, and all of that that you get, that benefit that you get from exercise, just physical exercise is great. And then the, with your hands might be physical, like being a contractor or maybe you're not moving so much, but you could even knitting. Um, I read that 100 years ago, doctors used to prescribe knitting to women who were, what do they call it? They called it distraught with anxiety. Is what they, right. uh, but they, <laughs> they were integrating their hands. They, it was taking their mind off of their worry. They were seeing the scar for something that made them feel good. So you could right. see how that would. So I sure. talk about effort-driven rewards being kind of mental health vitamins that you're doing to kind of prevent um, any kind of emerging mental illness that we're all vulnerable to. So, so both kinds like of movement are good. Yeah, it seems in our modern-day society we've gotten to a point where so many things are automated now, including just eating dinner. A lot of people just take these prepackaged meals yes. and throw it in the microwave. And not only are they not getting healthy food by doing that, they're missing out on the whole process of actually creating a meal, cutting right. up the vegetables, stir-frying it, whatever it is. And, and, I, and I, I think I that – no, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, go ahead. I, I, it sounds so simple that that could be good for your brain to cook. Yeah. But it, when you go through all of this, it, it really is good for you. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it actually makes – Meek's meal tastes better. When you actually go through the process of cooking it yourself, you're adding in the spices, you're yeah. getting the aroma. By the time you actually eat the meal, you feel like you've actually accomplished something. Like right. You're already getting a reward because you put this together, and now you actually enjoy it more than you would if, let's say, you just picked up a fast food meal That's, that's what I keep hearing, absolutely. It means more to them. <laughs> So Kelly, Kelly, let me ask you about, I know you mentioned um, neuroplasticity um, uh -huh. with exercise. What about 
you know, I read in Superbrain. I started reading Superbrain, Dr. Rudy Tanzi and um, Deepak uh-huh. Chopra. And they were also mentioning how meditation also adds to neuroplasticity. Um, I just want to know, like, what's your experience with that as far as during your studies and, and also in the field that you work in? How do you feel about meditation also I'm, adding to neuroplasticity? I'm having the hardest time getting my rats to meditate. Uh, <laughs> and really, that is part of a <laughs> – because I'm using animal models that, that yeah. have not looked specifically at that, but certainly I'm up on the, the literature of that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, meditation, if you think about stress being toxic, and, and it counteracts neuroplasticity. If you mm-hmm. put animals in a stressful environment – you're not going to see the growth of the brain and the health of the brain. So with people who engage in meditation and it reduces their stress levels, it distracts their thoughts from I'm going to get fired or I can't find a job or this Mm -hmm. relationship is not going well, then that's going to have a huge impact just because it diminishes um, stress. So with my theory and the kind of perspectives that I use, that's huge. But then there, there are so many other benefits that are spoken about, about creativity and spiritualness that um, is, is not as easy for me to tap into with these kind of neuroscience studies. Mm-hmm. But, but my view and where I see the biggest value looking at how it fits into this is just it helps you control that stress factor and it, right. it puts you in charge instead mm-hmm. of the world. Uh, and that, that sense of control over our environment when we really don't have that, but just sensing that we do. Right. If you think of our ancestors, wow, they, they really did. Uh, you know, I talk about Little House on the Prairie and Mom Pa Ingalls and how, <laughs> oh, my gosh, I couldn't, I couldn't do all that today. I'm a total wimp. Right. But, right. but knowing, if, I, I, would, I would have less stress if I knew how to repair my computer and I knew how to build my house and I knew how to do all this because you would feel in control right. of that. So, uh, but meditation brings about that. That, that sense of control and distracts from that toxic stress as well as other things. But that's what I would focus on within, within this kind of theory. You, you, bring up, you brought up a really interesting point there, how so many things are technolo- technologically based, complicated stuff where we don't feel like we have control, such as if our car breaks down, we panic. Yes, or if our, computer, yes. if our computer gets a virus, we panic. Or if something goes wrong with the house that we don't know how to fix, they're like, oh, call the plumber, it's flooding. You yeah, know, what happens if we can't text somebody every five minutes? <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. we're, we're dependent or, on this, yeah, but we don't have the ability to, to influence it. And I really respect, there's, I, I teach college and so I of course love knowledge based work and seeking knowledge but in the midst of all this we've kind of downplayed the um, the uh, how impressive work skilled labor is when I mean our car this morning our car wouldn't start and you know, neither one my, we're not mechanics but I really respect someone who can they, they have to repair that that car and there's this wonderful um, book. It's entitled. He'd be fun to have on your show too. Shop class as soul craft, and it's yeah. r- written by Matt Crawford. And he's actually uh, lives in Richmond, but he's a philosopher, a political philosopher. And he he got into that knowledge based world, and he realized I'm not really doing anything. I I don't think I'm changing the world in any impressive <laughs> way. So he opened a motorcycle repair shop, and he talks about how complicated these problems are, and he has to. You know, they, the, his customers have to drive that motorcycle off the lot. He can't just give them this, well, this should go here, or the theory of motorcycle repair. It has right. to happen. And that takes a lot of brain activity and production, and I'm just as impressed as that as someone who has her Ph.D. in political philosophy. And that's what Matt's book is about. We need to 
appreciate and value our skilled labor as much as the knowledge-based labor. And sometimes it takes more brains to do the skilled labor than this knowledge-based think-take uh, you bring out, it makes me it makes me think yeah. of my brother. My brother is a guy who he can he learns how to fix anything on his own. Like he learned how to film and edit my videos. He he learned how to fix yeah. every car every car problem you can imagine. And he just all he did was get the manual for a car. And he's like, oh look at this, just read through it and you can figure it out. Right. And I was like, yeah, you can. <laughs> but anyway, but the thing about him is that he he never worries about car problems because there isn't anything that he either right. can't. That's fix. a wonderful feeling to yeah. have. Even if he can't fix it, he knows he won't get ripped off by letting someone else fix it right. because he knows what the cost should be and what the labor will be and yes. all that stuff. Yes. And that's got to be an empowering feeling as opposed to most people where if you get a flat tire, you're like, oh, God, i got to call AAA. Right. And you're right. on the side of the road. So I, mean, I, think, I think just basic maintenance or mechanic efforts with your car would be a good idea, but not just there with anything because yeah. I think it's like you said, we all have this feeling of, if, if this actually goes wrong, what am I going to bother you about? It's dependency, and it, yeah, that, so it's like that this enhances our anxiety. stress mm -hmm. yeah, and our yeah. anxiety. Yeah. We're nervous about all this. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah Kelly, i got to agree with you when you say you have to admire this because right now we're, we just moved into a, a new house a couple of years ago, and uh -huh. when we first moved into this new, the, new community, it was only like four houses here, and our house was like the fourth one. Uh -huh. But now, here it is, fast forward two, two years later, Right now, I think they pretty much have built both, like, sections. I've watched these guys sit here and build two communities here, and it's going to end up being three. So uh -huh. right now they've built almost, I know, over 100 homes, probably almost 200 homes at this point. I'm watching these guys throw up, like, four or five houses, like, every two or three weeks. And, of course, <laughs> just kind of looking at it, I'm looking like, I'm so glad ours was the very first because I have to wonder, like, how structurally sound are those houses. But at the same time, I just, with the technology that's out here right. today, and just with the skilled laborers that are out there today, it's just like you, just, you have to wonder. You're like, wow, there's, I don't think there's any way I could have done that. But then I think about organizations like Habitat for Humanity, how they just, mm -hmm. when they all work together, they get the blueprint, and they, everybody works together, they can get that house up in the next few days or, you know, within the week. And that sense so, of accomplishment, hopefully oh it is right. good quality. Right. But to be able to see a house, I've never built a house, so I can't imagine how rewarding that would be. Right. Um, uh -huh. But I know if I cook a meal and it looks nice, I'm proud about that. But, but oh, the yeah. sense of accomplishment <laughs> for hey, I'm, that I'm, I'm really into, like, coffee right now, and I'm slowly but surely learning how to froth my milk and make my espresso. <laughs> good and, for you, the effort-driven rewards. My designs look like, third, like <laughs> second grade drawing. And then the right caffeine now, just seals <laughs> the deal with your brain. Yeah, then I can actually... Somewhat, it's almost like clouds. Where you look at the clouds long enough, you can start imagining what it looks like. It looks like a pig. Well, now yeah. my foam is starting to look like certain little things. I'm like, I'm accomplished. Well, you right start now. viewing things from certain lens. I do that when I get hooked on an idea when I'm writing. Everything. But you brought up a good point about working as a group, like with Habitat for Humanity, and and that's another wonderful way to diminish this toxic stress, the right. social support, and we are very much a social species. Um, right. And it you know, should be supportive, affiliative, and not antagonistic and confrontational. But when you have that social base, that's another buffer. And so there, there's not one magic bullet for how to be mentally healthy, but that social support and engaging the brain with the uh, effort-driven rewards and other exercise. Right. And distracting from stress, those are all ways to, to put you on the path for a mental health or a healthier brain. Yeah, I think the social support one is one that is totally diminished in our society. It's not, we don't emphasize the importance of that anywhere near as much as we should. Because, you know, I wonder, because yeah. I agree with you, yeah. 
Yeah. And I think people think, can maybe have a false sense of security that they have these social networks, and I struggle with this with my teenage daughters yeah. because of their texting and their Facebook and their right, right, 5,000 right. friends, but how many of those are really friends? So you think you've got this huge social network, but we, again, we evolved to look at people's faces and to right. watch their gestures and to hear the tone of their voice. That's all incredibly complicated brain you know, uh, decoding that goes mm-hmm. on with our communications. And, and they don't even use words, you know, it's just <laughs> abbreviations. So LOL. Uh, we're doing an experiment on ourselves. I don't know how it's going to turn out. Maybe that does yeah, give yeah. us a, a healthy sense of security. We yeah, don't cutting know. Cutting words in half, like, that's so cray. I'm like, I told my daughter, don't you ever <laughs> no, say that. Use the C and the Y. <laughs> that C and the Y could be the difference between you making it's a thousand dollars You can't argue for that. It's, it's efficient. But we keep no. streamlining our whole world away. <laughs> so. But you know what's funny with all this technology? I mean, I, I like to go to concerts a lot in Vegas, just live mm-hmm. music, that kind of thing. And then yep. it's always – it's one of my favorite things to do. It's always, it always puts me in a great mood. But whenever I look around at people during the performance, they're always on their cell phones texting somebody or they're updating their Facebook status like, oh, here's where I'm at right now. So-and-so just played this song. I know. I hate that. And, and you have to wonder – how much of life you're missing out on Absolutely. Because, because your head is always somewhere else. I mean, who, who cares about your Facebook status right now? It's like this concert is going to be about what, 70 minutes and then it's over. And then you can go Facebook all you want. Right? I mean, I think there's no life denying that we are missing out. And when I see students yeah. walking across campus on a beautiful day with squirrels and trees and all of this and other people to wave at, and they're looking at their phone, it's just walking they're intense. cutting the outside world out. And no, we're just becoming, uh, you know, the phone is like an extension of our body, and right. we're kind of just, yeah, it, it's scary. Uh, again, no, it's, it's an experiment, and I don't know how it's going to turn out. Yeah, but. It's, it's kind of a scary experiment. I mean, I was in South Africa watching dolphins swim, and the beach is beautiful, and oh. I'm, I'm like, wow, this is incredible. And then there's a, a couple of teenagers with their parents, and they're just texting the whole time. I'm like, God, you're missing this. Unbelievable. You're not, you're not, you're not yeah. experiencing any of this. I mean, and then to me, life is all about, meaningful experiences mm-hmm. you know that that's what you really remember not the material things you bought and stuff like that right. but oh remember that one time five years ago in kenya or remember that time here or remember when this happened right so but you're never really accumulating any experiences if you're always texting somebody because you're never in the moment I mean, right and my current um, what i'm working on on now i'm look, considering i'm talking about contingencies you know and our one of the functions of the brain is to be able to make informed decisions. Should I do this or this? And and one way we do that is by understanding the world around us. I mean, right. having experience with what coffee to make or how to cook this dish or how to repair your car. Or when you look outside, you know, how far is something away from you? Or when this person's approaching me, this means this. But we're cutting off a lot of the information about our world as we're looking into these devices. And it's it's, it's got to be dumbing us down some way because yeah. we're oh, not yeah. understanding the world that we live in unless we just go into these, you know, these urban well, environments and we're going to cut nature out altogether. But I, th- I think there's a lot of irony because on one hand, people are very social through these mediums, right? Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. Right. But in person, and Sincere and I always talk about this, it's amazing to meet a lot of these people in person and how socially inept they are. They don't make eye contact. They're nowhere near as charismatic as their avatar right, is. Right, so they've cut out they, the real-world experiences for yeah. that. And, right. and you, you it's see like the they haven't, Yeah, they haven't spent enough time in the real world where they've actually lost the skill set of right. how to communicate with people face-to-face, how to interact in a group. 
not not on a Facebook group or a, or a Twitter room, things like that. So that's the kind of thing that worries me, actually, is that skill set because on one hand, people have become more connected because like in my business, I can network with people all over the world, and I travel all over the world teaching courses, and, and right. all, of that is, all of that is set up through the Internet. So on that, in that sense, right. it's allowed me to meet it's a valuable lot of people. Yeah, it's very – but it, I, I, some people, that's, that's the end in and of itself. They're not they're, – all, all it is, all of their socializing is coming through mediums such as that, and that can't possibly be healthy. I, it's not the way – our bodies and our brains evolved to interact with the world and people. So again, we're, we're on a different path here. And I kind of envisioned thousands of years in the future, we're just this blob getting video streamed <laughs> with something that can point and press a button. Yeah. But yeah. You know, it's so funny because we look back and I'm the, right now, like I'm 41, you know, I know Mike is like a couple years behind me, but it's so funny how like people from our generation, we would see those kids in school that were playing Dungeons and Dragons and doing all the role-playing games. And but then once they got out of those little worlds, they stopped imagining that they were wizards and dragons and all this. <laughs> they couldn't even. These were the guys that could never get a date. They couldn't get a date to the eighth grade dance. Their social like, skills were not very realistic. Them, and it was so funny because you would see all the regular students and all the jocks would laugh at these guys and like these nerds. They can't even you know they can't even relate to anyone in right. the real world. But it's so funny because now those jocks and those students who were making fun of those nerds are now those people who are on social. They're on Facebook all the time. Those are the ones you went to school with, and now they can't relate to anybody in the real world. So it's kind of like karma came back and yeah. them in the we, It needs to be balanced. We don't and, need and to go and idiot. And are the ones that created technology right. that made those jocks and other people. Right. And they're making a lot of money. <laughs> so, touche. <laughs> Another way that, that concerns, uh, point that concerns me about being engaged in physical activity, and, um, and you're mentioning school and kids, is the fact that we have – we're systematically taking out all the physical education exactly. in schools. Right. And research, and I can even do this with my rats, they engage in this wonderful rough and tumble play. And if you deprive them of that, they kind of make it up. They dose themselves. They play even longer as if this was something incredibly important for their brain, like you would eat more if you'd been deprived of food. Mm-hmm. And there's actually research to show that, that the animals that play more have more of this plasticity and more of these growth factors. And it's... It, Really, it's clear to me that the physical activity is just as important as uh, the cognitive work in school. And if you take away that physical activity, those kids' brains probably cannot handle, especially without breaks, um, the the teach you know, the lessons or whatever that they're oh, learning definitely. sitting yeah. there. So I'm we think that. that we're making it more rigorous, but we're depriving their brains of being able to to respond to. All yeah, they're definitely getting it all wrong. As a parent, I've seen it. You know over and over where, you know, I asked my, my daughter when she was in elementary school and then middle school was like, you know, how was PE? Well, we just, they just let us outside and we just sat there. They just yeah. told us to sit. They t- the teacher, the PE teacher told them to sit down for, the, for an hour. Um, are right. you and serious? Crazy. And even if they had that? their structured play, it's probably yeah. it's not great because you stand in line and do something. We need kids to be running and chasing exactly. and playing Just tag and see how hard they can push each other without getting right. That's even, the kind of testing crazy. the limits that our brains need to be doing in a exactly. supervised way. But what's crazy, they're taking away all the activity, but they keep adding more and more standardized tests. So my thing is, how is it these kids can even be up to standard to even take all these different tests, have the energy to take these tests, when you're depriving them of any type of physical activity. So what you're doing is you're setting them up to fail. Yeah, all those tests are increasing the stress level and anxiety. Oh, my gosh. Too. They did a, um, 
There was a special on documentary a few weeks ago where they were looking at educational systems, and they went to the Netherlands that had one of the, the highest rated. And it was so fascinating. Even with the cold weather and all, they broke, uh, took a break every 90 minutes. The kids went out in the snow and ran away, ran around and played. And they had very little homework, uh, and they don't have standardized tests, and they blow us out of the water. (laughs) 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 They have more engaged learning while they're doing it, and they're not as stressed. And so we we just always need to reevaluate these trends that we have for you know education and mental health and what we need to do for brains. But now you talk a lot about the pitfalls potential pitfalls of talk therapy. Can you get into that a little bit? What are what do you think are some of the flaws with that system of trying to deal with depression? Um, well, I mean, some of the talk therapies, I, I kind of do both. Um, my, right. my biggest concerns are with um, medication and are we t- doing the right thing with that and how the, um, the brain may not be in charge at that point, but at, at some point, I know that it's okay to. Um, do you, to do you feel medication is, is too much of a surface solution? Well, just... it, it's a muscle, and I'll get back to talk therapy to you. But um, yeah, yeah, sure. So with the, the SSRIs or the antidepressants are mostly about this neurochemical I think you mentioned before, serotonin. Right. And, and when yeah. you really get in the literature, and I'm one of those nerds that you know gets into these studies. <laughs> um, there's not clear evidence, there's no evidence that our serotonin levels have changed, as I mentioned. Mm. So if our depression rates are increasing, and it's because that we have lower activity of this neurochemical serotonin, um, and we don't have any evidence that it's actually lower, well, it doesn't take you know, too much to say, well, something's kind of wrong there. Right. And uh, there's not clear, when, even when you look at Okay, so people who take these drugs that enhance serotonin, they do better. But then when you look at the real studies, the increases, if you control for this placebo effect, which is huge with mental illness because expectation is part of the issue and can be very therapeutic. The data just aren't strong enough, I think, to take the risk unless it's, you know, extreme situation. Um, You should not start with medication. I I think of, of medication in some ways, as a chemical tow truck. If your car doesn't work, you can hook it up to a tow truck and it'll carry it around, but you're right. not in charge and you're, you don't know exactly what's working and what isn't working about your car that's being towed around. So it right. might, you might be kind of functional, but if you could get to those circuits that are impaired, and it may be serotonin or dopamine involved with reward or stress right. hormones or these resilience hormones um, like DHEA that we've talked about or the yeah. neurotrophic plasticity factors, um, if we engage in the right behaviors, behavior changes all of those. So that's why I love the effort-driven reward approach, uh, starting there to try to teach the brain how to walk itself, you know, how to, how to engage in the right behaviors in, the, in real time, in the right context. It's going to enable that brain to be functional for longer um, periods of time. Now, sometimes that can be supplemented, that type of therapy, and what I'm talking about is more of a behavioral type of therapy, which right. may include a talk therapy, talk type of therapy. So I, I don't see talk therapy as being ineffective. Um, sometimes it's difficult to know that this particular type of therapy was any better than talking to a friend and right. gaining a sense right. of control right. that way. So we have to be careful about uh, how you know, these are assessed and if you're paying money for it, that it is different. But the most powerful kind of therapies that I could see statistics-wise were these kind of behavioral activation therapies where the therapist worked as kind of a life coach. So they're, 
they're setting up, um, they're trying to create situations where the person has to get out there and engage in social behaviors or, or, or try something new, like saying such and such is going to pick you up to go to exercise class or to work out. So you're right. less likely to back out if they're coming to pick you up. Or right. if you're depressed right. because you don't have a job, okay, what are we doing to try to get that job? Even though it's painful, and when you're depressed, that's the hardest thing to do. Right. But when you pull a muscle or break a bone, starting to walk is really painful too, and you'd rather take those pain meds and not have to deal with that pain, but you're not going to have a functional leg unless you can work through the pain, which may be supplemented with the, the medication. So um, if medication is used, it should always be supplemented with the appropriate talk or behavioral or cognitive therapy. It shouldn't be done alone. Otherwise, you're just the brain's not learning what's working and what you have in, in your repertoire to, to help yourself. Um, so, yeah, I think I think from what I can see, it just seems like that is the first line of defense. So in other words, if someone goes into an office and they say they have some mild depression, it's like, okay, start taking this. Right, because we, so, we, it's, so it's too soon. Yeah, we advertise it so the patients come in. Yeah, they, they know, know exactly it. what they want. They've seen it in the magazine. And so right, right, right. most of these are prescribed by general practitioners, and they're not psychiatrists. They're not neurologists. They're not psychologists. So that's the easiest thing for them to do. Insurance companies love it because it takes no contact time. Uh, the patient expects it. And in many cases, just the fact that the patient thinks that that drug will work with something because but depression is so bizarre, that's going to enhance those, that dopamine, some of those chemicals that are necessary to repair the brain and bring the person out of the slump. And you might say, okay, well, it worked. But you've got all some other side effects of these medications and they cost right. a lot of money. And so if you could get that expectation shift in another way that's not chemically dependent or from exogenous drugs, um, then yeah. you're not going to have the side effects, the costs, and you're going to have a faster kind of... Well, the side effects happen. are always, um, sometimes, the, the side effects always range from amusing to downright scary. It'll like be some of those commercials on TV where it's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And death. <laughs> like, well, we'll get, we'll get, yeah. You're going to feel better, <laughs> but you're going to have chronic diarrhea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And it's amazing what, yeah, I mean, because the pain is so severe that I'm sure people, you know, and I respect that, would do anything to, and you want to get out of that as quickly as possible. And sometimes right. your contingency, you know, probability assessing is not as accurate as it should be in that case because the very areas of your brain that are necessary to make good decisions are compromised with depression so it makes right. it makes you very vulnerable i think just back to talk therapy and i think it was in your book where one of the one of the flaws is the fact that you're often talking about the traumatic event over and over again right so, i did so you're, yeah you're reliving yeah. that experience so every time you relive it, it's like it's happening again. Yeah, so that was in the context of more kind of grief therapy or after right. a traumatic event. Not um, right. So, yeah, I see where you're coming from. So there, there isn't strong research to suggest that if something horrible happens, to sit around and talk about it excessively. Right. And when you think about that, you can say, oh, that doesn't make a lot of sense to do that. There are individual differences, but for a lot of people, um, those who can distract themselves and to find another way to, to gain control, um, they're going to do better than to keep rehashing um, that. But for some individuals, it's, it, it may work, but there's not clear evidence. It just kind of became part of this uh, psychology, psychotherapy, uh, non-evidence-based uh, kind of work that I'm not a fan of. I'm chair of a psychology department, but sometimes I, you know, I'm, I'm, so, I'm frustrated with a lot that goes on if it's not right. 
what we call evidence-based. So that right. we owe that to everyone who uses these therapies that we have something, we have data to show that it works. Just like if you're a drug that works for that you're going to take for cancer, you won't know that it's been tested and then it works in an empirical way. So we we just need to be, even though it's complicated with some of these, and but and there are wonderful folks out there doing this research. We just need to continue to be vigilant about that. Yeah, I think it seems like it's a multifaceted approach Absolutely. is ideal. So, I mean, talk therapy, I think, initially has benefits, especially for the more severe traumatic events where you're just getting it out finally. You're talking about it. It's no longer And you're getting social support from someone. Yeah, exactly. so, so it is complex. So I don't want to say that never works. But, but, but the but thing about that is sometimes that becomes a crutch too, meaning that you're getting, you're getting energy from other people that are listening to this and maybe they're saying, oh, yeah. you're you, they're giving you comfort and so forth. Yeah, and so all they're sudden, reinforcing the fact right, that you're thinking you like about that. it. Now you're, yeah. now you're, all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I like the attention I'm getting. Yeah, from absolutely. From. So now you start wearing it like a badge of honor. You start bringing it up anywhere you can yeah. because you're trying to get that attention. And I think, I think that's where it starts becoming a pitfall. It's like yeah. the, initially talking about it is great, but then at some point that has to lead to some meaningful action. Right, and that's where you need to that. have this you know, therapist who has a, a vision about at what pace do we change? So we talk about it, and then we're moving on to this, and then we're not right. dependent on that, and then we're meeting, talking, having social events that, that where we don't mention that. So it's really important you know, when people are talking to therapists to ask what their game plan is. And if it's doing the same right. thing every week and not and, and talking about because if you go to um, – I'm big on you, know, you treat it like any other medical doctor, really. Right. What's the time course for my healing and recovery, and where should I be here, and where should I be at this time point so that I can – can assess whether or not your therapy is working um, right. and not just but the brain and the mind it's kind of mystical and people don't treat it like other you know cardiovascular disease or something and they so so that's been difficult as well and a lot of kind of weird therapies and things have been have slipped in there but we need to be objective just like you would for uh, chemotherapy or, or um, cardiovascular disease or anything to know is this working have a way to know whether or not it's working right, right. Now, uh, see, there's one more question I had on, on that front. There was, there was actually an interesting study, an anthropology study a while back, where they wanted to look at the markers of health for different baboons on the social structure. So ones that are alpha males versus, let's say, ones that are at the bottom of its totem pole that are kind of at the mercy of alpha males and all that. And so they tranquilized these baboons from afar, and then they looked at their C-reactive protein, their DHEA, their cholesterol, all of those things. And, of, co of course, the alpha males had very healthy markers, healthy testosterone, low stress hormones, healthy cholesterol. Mm -hmm. The ones that were on the mercy of that social structure, the baboons at the bottom, mm -hmm. were the exact opposite, of course, very high cholesterol, very high blood pressure, all of the markers of poor health, even though they're on a similar diet and so forth. Right. And then, and then something interesting happened. All of the alpha males ate some tainted meats nearby. I think this was in Kenya. And they all ended up dying. So uh -huh. all of a sudden, the alpha males are gone, the ones that were the bullies to these other baboons lower on the totem pole, and now they became the new kind of alpha males, but they didn't act like the other alpha males. They, they created a much more egalitarian community. Mm -hmm. And what happened is all of a sudden, they became much healthier now. The ones that used to have the, the high cholesterol, the high blood pressure, high cortisol, high stress hormones. Right. All of a sudden you're you're talking about one of my favorite researchers, Robert Sapolsky. Yeah. Um, yeah. His, yeah. Uh, and. Yeah, I mean, so that was very interesting. Um, there was there was some um, classic work done in the. He talks about that in his book with with humans, where, where at the um, cardiologist they were noticing that the 
people that were coming. It says type A personalities. And they thought at that point that the type A, which maybe you would think as being the boss, the CEO, um, they were more likely to come into the cardiologist's office with, with heart disease. And so at that point it was, oh, right. you don't want to be in charge. And, of course, and Sapolsky's work show it, it really is context-specific. Um, but yeah. it, it does make sense if you're never ha- – you know, those lower-ranking baboons, they never have access to the good food, to the um, the – high-ranking mates, um, social, the grooming, all of that. So they're low man on the totem pole, so that's kind of stressful. Um, But in some situations, there's been some research, in some situations being that dominant male and having to be more vigilant and always being sensitive about, because they're so political, the the primates, beta males always watching you, (laughs) you wanting to take (laughs) over. So so it is context-specific. So the the truth is, you know, if you have chronic stress because you don't have resource, uh, access to resources, or you have more aggression, or think, something like that, you're going to have the unhealthy levels of those stress hormones and right. cardiovascular disease. But, but he, I love his observations and interpretations. It's great. I think one of the things they were trying to extrapolate from that is that even with humans, if if you feel that you're more in charge of your life, like you're not at the mercy of a jerk boss, boss, or you're in a bad situation at work that's very stressful then you're, you're going to be much happier. You're just going to have much more resilience to stress. And isn't, isn't your ability to be happy, isn't a large part of it how well you manage stress? So people well, that get stressed easily, or is that just a different... I mean, I, mean, I think so, because being happy, um, we, we think of that as this you know, healthy kind of version of a, a mental abilities. Uh, and when you're stressed, it, it just the two don't exist very well. Um, right. For I mean, you might be like both extremes. That's not and it's kind of toxic. But to be generally happy, um, you're you're not going to be stressed. You're not going to be worried. Um, so if you've come up with some way to feel in control, to not feel threatened, um, it's going to make it you know just be higher probability that you're going to feel you know, more of these pleasant, positive types of emotions. And when I, you know, I think it's important in talking to my students and some of the kind of success strategies classes that we have as they're thinking about careers, they think that money is related to happy, but you go back and you look at the the research and it really doesn't support, because sometimes those, those careers, uh, and when you don't make a huge amount of money, it's, it's, it makes you happy to read this research that, that you don't need a lot of money to be happy. Oh, that's why I'm not doing that. I, w- I would be miserable if I made a lot of money. But sometimes it's like that alpha male baboon. You know, you've got a lot of – you've got to be vigilant about the next person that's going to take over and all of this. And um, so those threats um, – happiness, it comes down to more about social support and passion for the, what you're doing, engagement. Right. Um, so and those lower ranking baboons they they weren't threatened when the alpha when the more aggressive ones were out of the picture, and so right. they were as you know they could be happy just like the any other baboon so um so it's about removing those threats um, and and yeah, having this passion back to um we were talking about kids and and depression and kind of tying it into the medication mm-hmm. now recently, probably the last few months, there were some reports I saw. Uh, from some websites about ADHD and that it being that the creator of 
that symptom, well, not the creator of that symptom, but the one who diagnosed that symptom, um, was basically before his death said it was a fictitious disease. Now, I would rather hear from someone that's actually in the field and actually in that area of expertise to speak on that and not necessarily just because, you know, anything can pop up on the Internet. You always yeah. have to check and check your yeah. sources. And, and, but there's always been, like, some controversy around ADHD and, and pres- prescribing medication for children, and sometimes things like it's a little rushed. Just like we were talking yeah. about earlier I about mean, medication think, being the first line of defense instead of everything else. Right. I mean, and it's a similar story that I was saying for depression and not rushing to those med, med to those meds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, we define what our disorders are in our society, yeah, I know. Um, and so ADHD. Uh, if you describe some of the kids, I think who are diagnosed today, if you if we describe them to our great grandparents, they say, well, that's just a, a kid. You know, that's just, that's right. the way kids should act. But we um, we have this diagnostic and statistical manual that says, you know, the kid's not paying attention or they're hyperactive, and they fit that category, then they are they're um, diagnosed with this. But I have have huge concerns about labeling kids and telling them early on that you are this way. I mean, even telling them they're super smart or something like that. I have reservations right. about that. Right. You're what you do every day. You're always accountable uh, for your behavior. But um, some of the uh, rates of diagnosis are alarming, um, and especially when you consider, and I'm not saying that no child should be on those medications because I know there are extreme cases where the child's safety is, is maybe – uh, an issue, um, but those those meds, they they they're, they're speed and they right. they influence the brain and they may influence a lot of different things. Um, and so again, if if there's anything you could do with those kids to change, if it is neurochemical or attention focused or something like that, so that you don't have to go to the drugs and to have that chemical tow truck kind of effect. Where oh good, they're they're awake at school and they're sitting in their chair and they're not running around and that's that's good but that may not be the be, you know the ultimate goal that we should be looking for is being able to sit in their chairs at, at school um, <laughs> so I think we need to it, it, I'm lucky that my kids weren't diagnosed with that because I would have struggled every step right. of the way do I tell them about the label do do I try the drugs but I have friends who are scientists who who have had to turn to those drugs after trying everything else. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those complicated stories. So I'm not saying, you know, never give the kids drugs, but certainly go to a lot of different, you know, get a second opinion and don't start with the drugs. Try um, behavioral therapy or cognitive therapy or incentives, anything you can do um, before you turn to the drugs because that's going to kind of change the game a little bit for for the brain. Um, yes. So it, it's it's scary, and I think the rates are higher than they should be. And um, you know, you have teachers who are identifying who should be tested, and they're not therapists. <laughs> really? And, yeah, the teacher like. Seriously? Yeah, please put him on drugs <laughs> <laughs> so he'll stay seated. So your goals are kind of you know conflicted there. But um, I love a, a, a an engaged, growing brain, and I wouldn't want to do anything to compromise that if possible. So right. The last it kind of puts me in mind, um, even with just different points on the autism spectrum where sometimes you, you look at someone I'm there's this my wife's enthralled with this game show called the chase and this guy is on there he's like they call him the beast basically this guy's <laughs> IQ is like 165 or something like yeah. that and he's like six seven three fifty this guy's like wiped out everyone when it comes to trivia just and he's got like He's got a master's in, in, he's got a PhD in math, PhD in law, um, and all these different things. He, but he's just, he's genius. 
you know, he yeah. would be diagnosed as a genius. But it's so funny how people look at a guy like that and they say, okay, he's a genius. But then if they see someone else on the other end of autism, of the autism spectrum, they think like, oh, well, let's, let's just see. They have a problem. And maybe they need medication, and uh-huh. they need something to kind of keep them from being so hyper. So it's it's funny how they kind of just pick and choose. Who right, and you're reinforcing what I was saying about our culture defines what we see as you know, mental health and and being mentally ill. And mm-hmm. there there's a, a portion of the um, kind of autism community or, or individuals who have been diagnosed uh, with autism who who are offended by the fact that they think they should be fixed. You know, they they just sure, say right. that they they um, approach life differently and they mm-hmm. celebrate that and and again if they're adjusted and they're functional um that that's fine it's it's when um so so the smart guy was diagnosed with autism is that no i'm just no, saying he, how sometimes people who are considered genius you know they're on a different end of this autism oh spectrum. yes oh, and, there, and there are several examples but they won't they won't acknowledge these people you know being autistic per se they're just genius with yeah. Right. Labels yeah. I mean, you have so many them. different ability levels, and some right. individuals who can't carry on a conversation because of social impairment, but yet they can solve probability questions and math questions that I could not come close to. So you have these little compartmental, sometimes compartmentalized abilities mm-hmm. that are it's like the Rain Man or something that were just amazing. Exactly. Um, and then then the more basic functional behaviors aren't there. Um, but it's real interesting with autism. We Again, that's something that the numbers are growing. We don't know what in the world. Why are these numbers increasing? There, there hasn't been any real, you know, diagnostic physiological reason uh, right. for this. And we, it, it'll well, be what do you, what do you, what do you think about environmental factors such as the way food is processed now? Yeah, I was about or to bring that up. Have you, have yeah, you come across any research that would? make you lean towards making a connection between yeah. the two? Or it's certainly a possibility, but I haven't yeah. read the research that says, oh, it's the red dye or this right, right. or something like that. <laughs> right. um, there's convincing, yeah, it just, and sometimes you have little pockets where this worked for this child, but not, but we have to be careful with the, there was um, a lot of uproar about the vaccinations and, right. uh, and maybe that mm-hmm. caused it. And some of that was coming from celebrities who were right. not even, they were comedians, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, like, so we have to yeah. be so careful. And uh, who was testifying to Congress or whatever? Yeah, I think not it was Jenny, I think Jenny McCarthy. Or Jenny McCarthy, Holly, who's Holly a comedian. And, and she those, had yeah. a son who, you know, had the um, vaccination, and she thought there was a connection. And there, there, I, mean, I could see that she's very passionate about that. But we have to be super, super careful about these correlations and, and really uh, you know, put it to the empirical test especially right. when it's something like a vaccination that could have a harmful effect if we take it away. So I can certainly, there may be something there. Um, it might be another type of vaccination or a type of food or dye or combination. Um, it'll be very, very interesting to see. I mean, it's a real effect, so we're just doing a lot of research. I don't know, with you know, the human genome now being revealed and right. they're working on that, there might be you know, more clarity there, and it's probably going to be an interaction of, genes and environment and lifestyle and um but it we we need to uh accelerate that research to to help those help these these kids if they again not to to profile and say that they all need to be fixed or repaired but those who are having a difficult time right now you talk you talk a lot also about it's it's your book actually is the first one i've ever read on depression which actually talks about the importance of dhea and how you found that in, in some of the rat studies that the ones with 
more optimal levels of DHEA were able to handle stress much better and where yep. she seemed happier. Can you just talk about that for a little bit? Yeah. I, I um, thought that was really interesting. Yeah, so if we, when we train um, in the rodent studies, one way that we kind of put this effort-driven reward um, theory to the test uh, with the animals is we um, kind of created a little farm uh, where some rats had to, they love Fruit Loops. It's not very good for them, but they'll work for them, <laughs> Fruit Loops cereal. Um, so if we taught them, if you go out in your little field or arena every day and you see a mound um, and you dig in the mound, you're going to get a piece of Fruit Loop. So some, and that's just a simple task, ten, five or ten minutes a day, they go out and work for their Fruit Loops. And the other uh, group, we call them the trust fund rats, they got the Fruit Loops no matter what. So you just put them in there and they, they even had this guilt um, of making them sound more human, but they almost looked kind of guilty as they ate their Fruit Loops. Um, so we just did that for about six weeks. So you have a trained group that's connecting physical effort with rewards as they would dig for that right. versus this other group who had the, they still ran around the, the arena and they still had the same reward, rewards, but they did not make that connection. And what we've seen in time and time again now is that when we started looking at hormone levels, both the, the stress hormone uh, uh, glucocorticoids um, in, ra in a ratio with this DHEA, that what seemed to be the trained animals who showed more resilience in other ways as well, they had a higher rate of DHEA to the stress hormone level as if they're buffering. Um, so we're all going to have stress hormone you know, increases as we encounter stress and threat right. throughout the day. Right. And we need that because we need to know, get out of the road or whatever. You need to, but having this DHEA, what the rats are telling us, that if you can counter that quickly uh, with the DHEA, it's going to be less toxic and it's going to lead, lead to more resilience. So behaviorally they're showing us that. And um, so, again, we're not doing supplements or anything like that, these are the natural levels. And that gets back to my idea about behavior and, and changing these chemicals naturally. Right. Um, so I've been, and we just, we also look a lot, um, part of my research is very different where we look at how being a parent changes the brain and we think that it makes us yeah. stupid, but it actually, yeah, it, it makes us smarter in ways we don't appreciate sometimes. But um, we're just doing some primate work where we just, we, we measure DHEA in court, in court in a very non-invasive way through poop and urine. <laughs> it's not very glamorous, right. but we don't have right, to take right. their blood or do anything to stress them out. Yeah. And um, <laughs> our, our parenting, our, we're working with these owl monkeys, who are these wonderful species that look like E.T. with their big eyes, and, <laughs> um, and we give them this foraging task, and being a parent kind of makes them more efficient at finding the food. I don't know if it makes humans better, you know, faster in the grocery store, but for these primates it does. And one thing that we found was they had higher DHEA ratios, uh, mm. just after, you know, in maybe the enrichment of being a parent or I don't know. So we're just kind of making that link as well. But everything so far we've seen uh, with the animal work, the DHEA has been correlated with healthier, more adaptive behavior. Uh, and we know with humans that there's probably a big correlation or association with cognitive abilities because unfortunately it starts to kind of decrease around 30 or 35 when our right. memory and everything else starts to slip. Yeah. So it seems to be important, even though it's released by the adrenal gland, and so we don't think of that being incredibly important for the brain. I mean, stress hormones are too, but you've got receptors in the brain. Yeah, I was going to say, I think um, DHEA, there, yeah, there are receptors in the brain for yeah. DHEA and some production too. So yeah, it's, it's, so, so we're gearing more toward, okay, wow, how is the brain responding to this? And it, we're very intrigued. Um, everything we we're finding that seems to be more adaptive, we're finding that, especially with these, this, this training, 
that DHEA um, is on board. So it it's, will be interesting. There's another little chemical um, in the brain called neuropeptide Y right. that we see another um, kind of fun thing that we're looking at with rodents is because in, in this world we're going to be stressed and we're trying to look at effective ways of coping with stress. And um, we profile the rats and the ones that act the same way every time to something, we call them more consistent. They're either passive or aggressive copers. They're always aggressive and uh, like Bobby Knight, you know, the basketball coach that had everything, you know, right. popping out and everything <laughs> threatening or always passive. Oh, I don't want to, you know, shy. That doesn't seem to be as healthy as this group of what I call super copers, rats. And what is characteristic, most characteristic about them is that they're, I call them flexible copers. Sometimes they're active, sometimes they're passive. It depends on the situation. So they're thinking, you know, they're responding to the environment to determine how they, how they're, you know, what they're going, how they're going to cope as opposed to automatically, you know, being this attack or automatically deciding they, sh they shouldn't approach it and they're not going to be effective. So these flexible copers, and we just test them by, uh, with a little behavioral test, when they're young, they have higher levels of this neuropeptide Y in the brain that is related to resilience like DHEA is. Right. Um, so again, just uh, through our behavior and the sense of control that we can gain uh, socially and in, in our environment, uh, through the way we perceive uh, how effective our behavior can be, that changes our brain's neurochemistry just like taking drugs mm. changes mm. our neurochemistry. Um, but maybe it does it in a more relevant way is what I argue. Yeah, that's very interesting. On, on a separate note, I'm wondering if supplemental DHEA would be useful for people, let's say, that are going through short periods of much higher stress. Like right. maybe and that, a, that's, a, an, that's the interesting question that needs to be yeah. assessed a little bit more rigorously. It, you know, right. Is it like if serotonin is good for calming you down, right, should right. you take it in this drug or try to do it? So I would argue that if we could do it behaviorally, that's better. Yeah, but, no um, but that's still a, an interesting question, uh, how important, you know, what does the supplemental is it something about the brain actually doing this and having that sense of control that, that's important? But that's an interesting question that we need no, to answer. I mean, even, even improving mineral, vitamin and mineral levels often increases DHEA quite a bit. Like yeah. magnesium, magnesium is heavily correlated with DHEA, especially transdermally or intravenously. So sometimes when people have low DHEA, they, they get the minerals corrected, and all of a sudden the DHEA comes right back up. So right. maybe, a com maybe a combination of that and some of the more behavioral modifications would make yeah. a lot more sense than... Yeah taking an exogenous hormone. Yeah. I think, I think there's a lot down. of excitement about DHEA out there. We're going to see more research. We want to be yeah. careful. Uh, yeah. And I know that anytime we find out from even animal models that more of this is good, that everybody jumps on to, to do the supplements, or sometimes right. it bypasses right. some of the rigorous experimental testing that needs to be done. So we just need to do that testing before we, we go there uh, so that we don't make some of the same mistakes we've made with, with um drugs and things in the past. And this whole idea of what is natural and what isn't, uh, you know, antidepressants right. are considered natural, but serotonin is a natural part of the brain, a chemical right. of the brain. So that's a fuzzy area too. We just need to be very careful and make sure we've done the research uh, and we've considered costs and benefits. And that's what's so important as scientists. Uh, there are probably going to be costs to any treatment that we do, but, they, right. but the benefits should outweigh those costs uh, compared to other treatment strategies. So... That's what yeah. we owe, owe patients uh, when they trust the science or the doctor or the therapist who's, who's making these recommendations. So, uh.
I'm curious what what has some of the been the, some of the negative feedback to your book in the sense that are are there people that feel that maybe what you're talking about is an oversimplification? Have you dealt with that kind of criticism? Yeah, well, I, I kind of anticipated that. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's not something that. I mean, I've got mostly positive uh, right. feedback, but you do. But occasionally, if someone doesn't read the whole book, and sometimes yeah. when they review a book, they read the first right. part or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll say, "Oh my gosh, she just she thinks dep- she doesn't understand depression. She thinks that you can go garden and it'll fix it." So, and that just makes you angry because it's right. so. I've I've taken great pains to go into you know so respectfully to go through how it changes each brain area. And it's not simplistic. It's not something that you could just think away. But I'm just, right. you know, providing the explanation. So that's that's been an, an, an issue. And um, we we just don't have a system right now. Uh, I'm, I was praising uh, this kind of behavioral activation therapy. It is hard to find a therapist that actually does that type of, you know, life coach therapy. Or mm-hmm. um, so it's it's difficult for people if they want to take this and find a therapist that does something just like this. Um, so the practicality of it is still challenging because our system is more about giving and dispensing drugs and going through this time course of, of life coach and, and behavioral kind of goals. Um, but overall, I've gotten um, really nice feedback. Just a few days ago, even though the book's been out a few years, um, I received a, an email from a, a therapist himself, and he said that he just had a whole lot of, I had OCD and Tourette's and depression and just a very challenging childhood. And his parents bought him a fly fishing kit um, for Christmas when he was 10 or 11, mm-hmm. and he started making these fly fish with a, you know, they look like little insects for fly fishing, right. yeah. uh, a craft. And he, he had heard about or heard about the book, and then he was explaining how that was the best therapy for him in the world because it made him proud of what he was making. And he went to uh, workshops and he did demonstrations and it forced him to talk to people and he wanted to meet the best fly fisher, fly tires or whatever. And it broke, you know, he broke out of his shell and now he is a college professor and a therapist. uh, And Hmm. he attributes it to his passion for that was kind of his, his behavioral drug of choice was flying or uh, tying these fly fish, um, Interesting. So, yeah, um, I mean, I don't, I don't feel you made any oversimplifications in your book. I felt like you offered some perspectives that give people a much broader picture. Made well, it very I, interesting. I appreciate that. And it takes yeah. kind of sitting down and reading the book before yeah. you, you get you that. You have to read the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. When you review a book, you have to do that. I've also gotten some good feedback from uh, um, someone in Canada who's working with soldiers with PTSD, mm-hmm. and they uh, started having them garden and um and they and they said it's important not to use power tools because the sounds and the gas and all that right. yeah, right, uh, are too right. similar for the soldiers. But they've gotten great results with gardening with PTSD versus some of the drugs and other therapies. And that just I just love to hear some of that. That that maybe people might read this and at least try some alternative types of therapies and you know assess it with the drugs. And if nothing else is working, if this um, if this makes someone pull out of that anxiety and that chronic stress, then even one person, then you uh, say, yay. <laughs> uh, what about acts of gratification? Because it's, I think it was either in your book or another where I talked about how when you, when you engage in helping other people or other beings, maybe helping animal rescue, things like that, uh-huh. you're, you're basically putting yourself in a situation where you're taking the focus off of you and you're, you're helping yeah. someone else alleviate their suffering and often – I mean, me personally, I've always found that to be very therapeutic on many levels. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're, it, it's, it's 
rewarding. So we're going to get yeah. that hit, a hit of dopamine like you would right, cocaine right, yeah. or right, sex yeah. or food uh, <laughs> if you see someone else smile and, and they're appreciating that. So, and again, yeah. it's hard to be completely stressed out but feel good <laughs> about what you've just done. So you're replacing yeah. some of those chronic stress behaviors with feel-good behaviors, and you're building social networks, and it's meaningful, and that's important, that pressing buttons, even though I may be writing something that I'm passionate about, it's not always meaningful. Right. Um, and so that's in my, my brother, who um, is an MD in Atlanta, um, his job's very stressful. He does, he works with um, AIDS patients, and, and one of his therapies is not only cooking, but cooking for people and have them, you know, he wants to serve it to them and see them smile and appreciate it. And, and that's a wonderful therapy for him. Right. And, and, and we all benefit from it when he cooks. So, right, right. so yes, I mean, that meaning in life, the feeling that you, you're doing something that means something um, in this complicated world reduces that stress and enhances our sense of control. So it makes us feel like we're more in control and in charge. As I, think, I think a lot of back I, in the driver's seat a little bit. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of times we feel we have that mild depression, or I'm just talking about regular people here. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I've never had what I would consider a chronic depression, but just mild depression popped up here and there. And generally, it's it it emanates from you not getting to the root of a problem. In other words, you're just not solving. You're not taking an action that you know you need to take. You're yeah, I mean, I think that, that's relaxing. Yeah. It's real important that we sometimes we medicalize very normal things. Right. So feeling sad, right. which may be interpreted as feeling depressed or feeling kind of emotional, uh, um, right. that's probably very healthy and important in short-term bouts to say, oh, right. well, maybe things aren't going well with this relationship or this job. I need to right. reassess. Just like right. when we have some journey, our immune system makes us feel sick, so mm-hmm. and that corrects uh, whatever um, you know, pathogen that we're carrying as our body tries to get rid of it because it's, it's, it has something that's, uh, that's uh, threatening inside our, our body. So there are lifestyle choices that may not, that can be threatening as well. And so I think in, you know, being sad or not feeling uh, great all the time, it, it's just, I think of our mental life as like this tapestry and you have different threads and different fabrics and, um, and it's important if we were happy all the time. I don't know, we'd be kind of weird. Uh, we wouldn't appreciate You need <laughs> yeah. to know. So so yeah. sadness yeah. is a way of t- our brain telling us this is not working or maybe right. you need to reorient. So yeah. in short yeah. bouts, it's very adaptive. Uh, maybe sometimes the way it is advertised, people have a short bout and they run to get the drugs. But uh, it's only when it's chronic and you start to become dysfunctional right. and um, that, that you need to, to, to seek help. But, but little bouts of sadness are... I haven't read anything to suggest that that's uh, maladaptive in any way. Right. I think it's good. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think it would be unrealistic to think that you're going to go your whole life without any problems yeah. or any bouts of sadness or anything like that. And then, and if you do, then you're you're really not taking any challenges or risks. Where Absolutely. You're gonna I mean, you're gonna you're gonna miss out on living a really. We need to feel sad and. I always yeah. tell my, my girls, you need to fail at several things, too, so you right. know how to pull yourself up. Exactly. And, and, right. <laughs> um, and the feeling after you have pulled yourself up is amazing, <laughs> and that's important for our mental health. But if we protect our kids and everybody gets a trophy and everybody's a winner, oh, yeah. um, we need yeah. to be supportive We don't, you know, <laughs> right, right, we're, right. and be nurturing parents. But you're teaching the kids that the contingent, you know, you're always going to – it doesn't matter what you actually do, and I hope that – I can teach my kids and always tell them that you need to work hard. You know, to yeah. it's always about the effort you put into something. Right. Things don't that's magically right. drop from the sky. Right Trophies don't yeah. drop from the sky. <laughs> no, I think that's important too. That <laughs> emphasis on effort rather than 
saying to a kid, oh, you're so smart, it seems like that actually has, that's been shown to have a negative effect because now a kid doesn't want to ever look stupid. Right. So he or she is always going to try to stay in a safe zone where they always look smart yeah. as opposed to praising someone's efforts. Like, yeah, so when a kid, I mean, my, my uh, youngest daughter is a gymnast, and sometimes I can find her, she, she'll get in that safe zone because it is so scary doing these back tucks on the beam and things like that. But you know, I tell her, I'd rather you try something difficult in a safe way and fail than to choose to do the easy stuff in your routine because you know you're going to get it. I'd much rather you do that. And, and so it's just a way that we pitch it to our kids. It's so complicated raising kids, and none of us are going to do it perfectly. <laughs> oh I know I haven't, but I try to just be honest about, you know, you did well with this because you worked hard, um, and you, we need to do better on this. Everybody isn't a winner. So, and I think um, that's important, too. Just yeah. Explain, like, okay, you did this because of this. Absolutely. And usually where parents mess up, they leave out the because part. That's it's like, the key. <laughs> explain. If it, was, if it was a good job, explain why it was a good job. Exactly. If it was, you know, it could have been done better, explain to them why it could have been done better. Just say, like, oh, my God, I can't believe you messed that up. Absolutely, and they're learning. Can't believe that, Dad. <laughs> we learn from our failures. We don't love going through these failures, but we learn. That's when the brain uh, so research true. has shown that that exactly. when we're more engaged, the brain is to figure out why something didn't work, and so we need to make sure our kids have that and they appreciate it, and we try to teach them. But uh, it's not always fun. But uh, but we all are not winners. <laughs> 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 we know that when we get reach adulthood, and so we, oh, that God. if they realize that sooner rather than later, then they're going to be less traumatized by it. Right. So, uh, right. But, um, well, Kelly, thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. We're, oh, it's we're been a great for... conversation. You okay. guys are really very engaging. <laughs> and oh, thank own, you. Um, I appreciate what you're doing to uh, push the movement and fitness and mental health oh, forward you. in realistic ways. Uh, it's important. Yeah, thanks a lot. And for everyone, check out Kelly's book, Lifting Depression. You can get it at Amazon.com. Also, Kelly, are you working on anything new? Do you have a website where you have updates or anything? Yeah, um, at kellylambertlab.com. You can see what some of our students are doing with rats. And uh, and even raccoons are my new favorite because they are so crafty. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Very smart. Uh, No one else works with raccoons, but I'm wanting to. So, um, and... uh, Yes, I'm working on another. Some of my work is textbook, so that's kind of nerdy, but uh, hopefully I'll have a new book about this contingency and being well-grounded coming out, um, just mm. starting to, to pass that idea around. So I'm always thinking, and the rats are always giving me new ideas. So <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. Thanks a lot. We Thanks. really okay. appreciate having you on. Great information. Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye. Take, Take care. Bye. And that, again, is Kelly Lambert. Dr. Kelly Lambert, author of Lifting Depression, which is awesome book. And this was, I read this book years ago, and I quoted it a few times in my book, and it's in the back in the reference section. But I just thought that she had a very fluffy, fluff-free approach. Right. And also, she wasn't, I didn't feel she was trying to be oversimplistic at all. She wasn't saying no one should take any medications or no one should do this. She was just trying to offer a different perspective. Right. And I think sometimes people get defensive. Like I read one of the reviews on Amazon.com, and I think that was the person she was referring to just a few minutes ago, where the person just read the first 20 pages and then made an assessment. He's like, oh, I read the first 20 pages, and I realized this book is bunk. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Mike, you know, it's kind of like, you know, taking your testosterone boost for two days. Oh, this is crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, had that, I had that recently. Some young guy took it, and after a week he said, oh, I've, I've been taking it for a week. I haven't noticed anything. Can I send it back for a refund? I was like, yeah, you can send it back for a refund, but come on, dude, a week? You know, take a whole bottle, man. Then give me a real assessment. Don't tell me what happened or didn't happen in a week. 
know? Right. Kind of getting back like, to that thing we talk about, this society want to be just so – I call it the microwave society, you know, just get right. it done. And right, right. get it to me is, is – I want those results ASAP, which goes back to what Kelly was talking about. You know, the pro, some of the troubles they can get into is as soon as you feel a little things are off and you're a little sad, oh, I need some medication. And it's funny because I, I, dated, I dated this girl, and I remember right around the time that we dated, it was probably right around the time that my dad was really going through cancer really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And also at the same time, right around, well, I take that back. Actually, it was right around the time my dad had passed away, and at the same time, I had just separated from my first wife. And, of course, that's a lot of stuff happening within you know, the same time. This is all going right. down in the same month. So here we go, fast forward five, six months later. And, you know, so this guy, this girl and I are dating and she had her issues going on or whatever. She was also, she was already on medication. So even though I was just, you know, dude, I'm going, I lost my dad. And now guess what? I've lost my marriage that I've pretty much been in for nine years. You're mourning. And that's what happens when you go through mourning. That's what you do. So she was like, well, if you're feeling bad, I mean, why don't you go, you know, and go to a psychiatrist and get medication? I'm like, whoa, (laughs) how about let me mourn, you know, and guess what? There's no set period or amount of time for mourning. There's no right. such thing as like when someone dies, okay, you have exactly two weeks to get to get over yeah. this. And, yeah. and after two weeks, don't think about it again. Everyone is going to be different how they deal with it. Just yeah, also exactly. just depends how you look at death. And so anyhow, the first thing I remember, I was like, you should, well, there's nothing wrong with medication. You know, I'm on medication. <laughs> and I'm going to be honest, I'm like, that's why you're batshit crazy. <laughs> but, <laughs> just to be honest with you, but you're on a different, I know I'm crazy, but that's a, you're a different type of crazy. And everybody's crazy is not exactly the same. Maybe your crazy needs medication. <laughs> so I, I'm just like, it was just so funny that she went right to that. I'm like, no, but, but of course, kind of going with what society says, like when you feel this way, go get Zoloft, go get this, go get that. And, and fix it right away with medication. So well, I, think, I think the problem with our society also is that it's self-reliance in any capacity is not emphasized. So in other words, whenever, whenever you have any problem, how, however minimal, it's, you need to go get a professional. To fix right. It. You can't handle it yourself because you're weak. Exactly. exactly. And that's the message we're getting all the time is that you're insufficient. You don't have enough. To, you're, you're not smart enough to solve this problem, so don't even try. Call me up. I'll do it for right. you. <laughs> you, know, you can't fix that. Don't even think about it. It's, you know, my, uh, Roger, my brother, used to deal with that. He'd go to these mechanics, and they'd be like, look, you know, you, you're not, you're not going to be able to fix this stuff. He's like, please, don't tell me what I can or can't do. Right. And, and I, I, he, he, rebuilt, <laughs> he rebuilt the whole engine for his car one time. And I thought that was kind of over the top, but it's kind of cool, too, that he could do it. And then he went back and told this guy about it. He's like, hey, remember this thing you told me that I wasn't going to be able to do? Now take a look. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I think, I think a lot of us have a lot more power than we give ourselves credit to, and then we, we tend to run to professionals too soon because I think we're always taught anytime you have a problem, go, go, go get a professional, go get professional advice. So it's sometimes here, oh, you're depressed? Well, this one professional said go do this, and now we just go run to do that unquestionably. Exactly. And at that time, it's kind of like what Keller was talking about as far as just getting that social interaction and not necessarily having to go to these these medical professionals who pretty much you, you want to know, okay, what's going to be the contingency plan to get me through this? Most of them right. just like keep coming back therapy and sit on the couch and just rehash it, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. And I found one of the best ways I got through all that, that time period or whatever is through my friends. And right. I had friends who went right. through those same things. I had, I, went th- I had a friend who went through, who had to deal with cancer and with a parent. So it's, it's, at the end of the day, we're all social beings. We're all tribal. We're all looking for that social interaction. We're looking for those 
people who are who can empathize with where we are. I don't necessarily need you to have to go through cancer to know what I, you know, what I dealt with as right, far as right. parent. I don't need you to have to lose your parents. Sometimes right. some of the best therapists for you just to be there, shut the hell up and let somebody talk it out. And just well, like, like, like Kelly, like Kelly just said, sometimes if you're just talking to a friend, that can be just as effective. Exactly. And it's a lot less expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think a lot of people, especially men don't understand the benefit of just talking things out. We oh, tend especially to especially because that stuff they're so trained not to. Well, and that, and a, that kind of you're being back, a punk and yeah. show your feelings, you know. No, no, and that goes back to where I like I just said, you know, the importance of being self-reliant. Well, sometimes you have to not try to be too self-reliant and actually get some help. And I think that yeah. you have to build a balance between the two. And and a lot of times things like what you're talking about, especially personal traumatic events, I, I really don't feel that the best solution is just to bottle that in and try to deal with it yourself. I really Excellent. feel that talking to people and then letting them share their story, you hear it. I really feel there's something very cathartic about that whole thing because right. just different things that I've been through, that always helped as well. But, but in my case, though, it helped initially, and then I realized that it was starting to become something where this, I was talking about it too much. Right. It's like, it's like, okay, you've talked about this to how many people now for how many years? It's, 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 now it's time to basically say, let's never talk about it again. Right. You know? Because we've talked about it enough. Now it's, try, it's time to take charge of your life, live fully, and we don't need to bring this ever up again. Because you yeah, learned just, what you needed to learn from it, and that's it. So you don't have to yeah. keep rehashing it. Yeah, just like you're saying, some people use it as a crutch. It's like they keep telling you over and over, well, I was this, this, and this. Well, right. you know, I was cheated on, and I was cheated on. I remember when my <laughs> husband cheated on me. Okay, you know what? And you wonder why you can't find a good man because you keep thinking about the man that did you wrong. But, again, what did you do in the situation? How did you play your part in it? Because all I hear is a one-sided story, and that's not how life works. So, some way, right, somehow, right. where did you contribute? Did you turn a blind eye? I mean, seriously, did you not know from the start that this guy was going to be like this, or were there things going on with the relationship that you chose to ignore that pretty much this person was like, okay, well, I'm going to move on and do this, that, and the other with someone else. So we all play our parts in, in right. those type of situations, not necessarily in the situation that, you know, what you, what you went through, that's totally different. But I'm talking about these people who just do these other things that they can just really, they can go, you can move on. Okay, so just get over the fact, okay, someone cheated on you or your best friend lied on you and they betrayed you. Well, guess yeah. what? <laughs> guess what? Go make new friends. Yeah. <laughs> Let them go. If it, you know, honestly, the friendship was not that important to them or the relationship wasn't so that important to them. So since they gave up on it and let it go, it's time for you to let it go. And is it even worth mending at that point at the, when they just betray you, especially re- repeatedly? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, why would you want to keep exactly. experiencing that pain over and over and over? Now, that's the definition of insanity big time right there. And I, I, don't, think there's, there's a pill, I don't think there's a pill for that kind of crazy. No. <laughs> you know? no. no, it reminds me of someone that I know that actually had a couple of good friends, and then she kind of fell out of their little clique. And right. then anytime she saw them, they were kind of mean-spirited to her, gave her the, just give her the brush off. And then right. that, really, that really hurt her. And she's like, oh, I really wish I could rebuild all that. I'm like, what's there to rebuild? These people are showing their true colors. I mean, anyone who right. treats you like that, I mean, come on, we're adults here. This is not little kids on the playground. Sitting right. here. I was like, people who, who, who would treat you like that, who, who you think used to be your friends, the reality you have to accept is they were never your friends. Right. And their true colors finally showed, and it's time to just cut clean of that and shh, carve a new path. You know, right. I mean, to quote Maya Angelou, when people show you who they really are, believe them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's great, man. I like that. That's great. That's great. People people will show it in, in the strangest times, man. Like people oh that you think were your friends, and then something tragic happens, and you're like, oh, I'm sure this person will be able to help me out, and they're nowhere to be found. Right. And you're like, you're like, what? That person? I could I could have sworn that person would have been the first to help me out with this situation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you know, like everyone wants to be your friend when things are going well, and oh, they yeah. think you could do something for them. But, the, but those are not friends, and that, that kind of brings up an interesting discussion is that, like what uh, Kelly was talking about, you got all these friends on Facebook. Those are not your friends. You know why? Because <laughs> if, if I died today and there was a funeral in a couple of weeks or tomorrow, next week, whatever, how many of those 7,000 friends on Facebook are going to show Trust up? Trust me. All right? you, I, <laughs> I know exactly many, who would show followers. up or would at least send their condolences, you know, personally. Not, not, not post on my Facebook page, but they would actually, like, <laughs> yeah, they would actually, like call. I'll get a bunch <laughs> or, of RIPs on my Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> like, guess what? I can't read those. Like, oh, I can't man, click the like button from the grave, buddy. It's going to be like an RIP. Uh, also, are we still going to be able to get a testosterone booster yet? <laughs> 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 that would be hilarious. Oh, man. Like, is that magnesium oil still going to be available? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now what am I going to take? <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh, man. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think that uh, you do, I, I think Facebook and Twitter and all these things can be very useful for building your business. And, and some people even use it as a way to keep in touch with their real friends, you know, people they've actually met in the real world. And, and, that, and that's all fine and good. I'm not, I'm not knocking it too much because, you know, we both use it, too, for our respective businesses. But, I, but, I, but I'm also someone who's not sitting around on it on Friday nights. And I'm not sitting around on it really any night. Because I work during the day, and then I'm going to go have some fun stuff at night. If I've got that much time on my hands, I'm going to go interact with people in the real world. Right. And, or I'm going to go hang out with my dogs in nature. And I'm, I'm going to go do something that's a real experience, something that I actually may remember. Because right. you're, you're not going to remember the TV show you watched on Thursday last month or the, that the hour you spent on Facebook today. Those aren't, those aren't meaningful experiences that are ever going to stick out. But, I mean, things you actually do out there in the real world, you're going to a concert, you're hanging out with your friends, you're hanging out with loved ones, you're going out in the nature with your dogs, whatever it is, those are things you're actually going to remember. Those are real experiences. Yeah, definitely. So, like I always tell people, um, I'll sit there, I'll come, I'll turn my computer on on Monday, and I'll see all these Facebook, like, private messages and things like that. And it's like, <laughs> even one of our good friends the other day posted on my wall, like, dude, you're still alive? <laughs> well, here's the deal, it's just like, I work pretty much Monday through Thursday during the day and in the evening. At night, I'm spending time with my wife, friend, you know, friends and loved ones. Friday, Saturday, those are date nights. I don't even turn my computer on on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at all. Right. And that is like that is my new rule. That I mean, actually, I've been doing it for a while now, but it's like I am very diligent about that. That is one of the rules I make. I am not turning the computer on on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Right. I want to spend that's family time right there. Not each one. It's like one day it's date night with wife and brother-in-law, sister-in-law. If they join us, the next one, same thing, date night, just us. And then it's just the kids and all of us together on Sunday. So I don't, I'm not trying to be bothered with, yeah. you know, checking messages and things like that. It can wait till Monday. No one, no one important in my life is going to kick the bucket or have a dire emergency and hit me up on Facebook. Sometimes that stuff can just put you in a bad mood unnecessarily. I remember I was watching the UFC at the M Casino. I'm kicking back on this nice couch. A couple yeah. people are on the way over. I'm like, this is great, man. I'm having a good time. Nice, relaxed atmosphere. 
And then I was like, oh, let me check my phone. Uh, let me check my email messages during the commercial break. And then, and then of course, some problem with the business is, has come up. And, and there, there isn't anything I can do about it anyway because it's Saturday. You can't deal with it until Monday. But now it's in my head. Exactly. And, and I, I was like, you know what, don't let this ruin the rest of your evening. This is not something you can deal with. This is not something you can handle right now. It's something you have to wait until Monday. But, you know, the reality is I shouldn't even know about it until Monday. You know, right. if, I, if I employed your strategy – and I'm not looking at this stuff, then guess what? It's not going to ruin my, it's not going to ruin my Saturday evening because I'm right. not wasting my time looking at stuff that I can't do anything about anyway. So right. I, th- I think that's the other important reason to shut off is that, uh, you know, like, I don't want to get an email like that when I'm at a concert having a good time. Why am I looking at my email anyway? But let's say I, I do a concert. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm at a concert. I'm looking at the email and then there's a problem. Now, now that ruins that. So it's like, look, right. man, I mean, sometimes ignorance is, ignorance is bliss. Just leave it alone for a while. You can go a couple of days. It's not going to, I think the world is going to keep turning. You know, it's so funny. Uh, <laughs> and one of the things I'll do sometimes, I mean, I'm a, I have become like a ninja and kamikaze with, with my post. So let's just say it is a weekend. I have my, you know, my phone. If I have a thought, and it, even if you go on my New Warrior Lifestyle Catalyst page, when I have a thought, I share that thought. You know, I'm not going to say, well, let me just wait till Monday to post this because a lot of stuff is going to happen. So I'll post it really quick, and then I'm off. So it's kind of like I'll just sit there and kind of sucker punch you really quick with something. I'll post it, and then I'm off of Facebook. Next thing you know, I'm getting all these messages, and then people just see you post. I'm like, oh, 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 he's on. Let me, let me, let me talk to him. <laughs> you know, let me yeah. send him a message. Like, no, that was, I, that was two days ago. I got on and got right off. I know it was <laughs> on my phone. So I don't even know what you had. I didn't even see your reply until two days later. Because even though I went on my, I just went there and hopped on the app, posted and got off. I didn't look. I see the little notifications over messages and all that, but I'm not going to click on that because that takes you down this deep dark hole of where did my time go? Because right, <laughs> right. next That's thing you want one after the other and after the other and after the other, and then next thing you know, it's two hours later, and you're like, whoa, what did I just do? What have I missed? <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, it's I mean. Facebook it's amazing. is a black hole like that, man. Well, you know, all those things Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. <laughs> Sometimes I'll go on YouTube to watch a little clip on something. Oh, my like God. UFC YouTube tonight or something like that. And then I'll see something on the side and I go watch that. And then an hour and a half later, I'm still YouTube <laughs> surfing. I'm like, what? how did this happen? Exactly. And, and that's easy to happen there. I, I would say that's the easiest out of the three is that you get on YouTube oh, and you watch YouTube. Thing. You, or you'll yeah. see something you haven't seen in a long time. Like, oh, wow, somebody posted that? <laughs> I to upload a video of that. Yeah. I remember dude, there was one time I just went, something just popped up in my head about a certain song. I was like, oh man, I actually remember when they performed on Arsenio. So I said, I wonder, well, it's, YouTube. <laughs> I, it's like, it's YouTube. I know somebody had to post, you know, this performance. Typed it in, there it was. But the next thing I know, I'm watching all these classic clips from like the Arsenio Hall show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like two hours later. And then I'm just looking at myself like, I can't believe I just did that. <laughs> remember, 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 what, remember when Bad Dam came on the Arsenio show to promote Universal Soldier, and he oh. he comes out clearly intoxicated. Oh, he was he, drunk. He, he's wearing this. He's wearing this this jean vest with no shirt on, um, below, underneath. Looks like a total jack off, and then he rips off that jacket, throws it at the audience, starts dancing around. <laughs> even Arsenio, even Arsenio's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, man, some and of those. That's what we should have known. His career was pretty much done. <laughs> you know what's interesting about him, though, is that he, I saw some reality TV show on him. Uh, maybe it was on YouTube or on one of these networks. And it, it was really interesting where he's evolved to, though, because now he's really into animal rescue issues. He's, he has right. his own sanctuary in Belgium. He talks about a lot of the regrets of his youth and how he mistreated people and so forth. And 
he seems like he's really come full circle as a person and, and wants to evolve and move through all that. So I think it's interesting to watch that because if you sometimes, – sometimes it's kind of like, uh, like a friend that you haven't seen since high school. Right. And so, so their memory of you is not what you look like now, what you're doing now. It's what is the last time they saw you, which might have been high school. Exactly. And you'll talk to that person and like, wow, you know, I can't believe how much you've changed and so forth. Like, well, what did you expect? You, know, you, know, you <laughs> think I was going to be the same guy I was, you know, when I was 18 and all that? <laughs> but I mean, and they're saying it in a complimentary way because they just didn't predict that. They're like, wow, given who you were back then, I never saw this coming. But you, you could say that about anyone. I mean, right. you, don't, you don't know what experiences, how, the, how they're going to impact someone and shape their life and the, tra- the whole trajectory of the path they go on. Right. So we would hope we would hope that they've changed this. And like, if you're still the guy that goes out and, and go to keggers and things like that, and you're still wolfing down yeah. Budweiser's all night yeah. long, <laughs> like you did when you were 18. Right. <laughs> like, you're 36, when you're 36 and all your friends are 18, that's a bad time. Okay, A, R. Kelly, R. Kelly, you need to upgrade the age of your friends there. You're a little creepy. Okay. And, I, and I know people like that, man. They're like 30. But that's so gross, they're, man. They're hanging out with, not, not as young as 18, but their older friends are like 22, oh, 23. But, but that's, 22. that's still too, I mean, come on, man. It's, it's, you know what, my attitude is if, if you, unless they're from some other part of the world where they've had some tough experiences, sure, the, the people mature much faster in different areas. But mm-hmm. the, the average 21 to 23-year-old, you're, you're not going to be good friends with that person. Okay? Right. They're, 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 you know, at, at our age, 40, 41, et cetera, where you've had a certain amount of life experiences. I mean, it can, sure, it can happen, but it, it's highly unlikely. Well, for me, what makes that just totally not happening is the fact that, okay, in two weeks, my oldest will be, he'll be 22. So who the hell am I to be hanging out with his friends? <laughs> How creepy is that? Like, really? Or Like, dude, your dad's a loser, man. Really? Why is he hanging out with us? Why is he sitting over here playing Madden with us all day long? <laughs> Shouldn't he be doing something? I thought he, I thought he was an entrepreneur, man. He's over here playing Xbox all day with us. <laughs> but, you know, the, the flip side to this, and I know you're this kind of person, too, is that I think, I think the mistake a lot of people make is when they get to our age, they start thinking, oh, I'm, I need to act a certain way now. Oh. And they, they lose their whole youthfulness. And not only they, they start acting all prim and proper, they don't go to concerts anymore. They don't do youthful activities, things that are fun to do. Right. And that will put you into that rapidly aging state and into old man syndrome faster than anything. And when I say old man syndrome, I mean someone who just sits around complaining about everything. It's like, oh, it's raining today. Oh, it's too hot. It's like, oh, I can't stand the Internet. Oh, I don't like any music that comes out now. Back in my day, we used to have that. <laughs> you start talking like that. Boy, man, you're gonna you're gonna fall off the wayside. I mean, I, I think it's important to to keep doing youthful activities, meaning that right. you still go to concerts, you still go to movies, you still go out hiking, you still go on vacations and travel and explore and, and have new experiences, because otherwise you're you're just gonna be someone who thinks that, well, I don't have to worry about working out anymore. I'm 40. I mean, who cares about being? Oh strong? yeah, that's amazing. I, I don't yeah. have. To, and it's like, come, why not? Why 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 would you want to deteriorate like that? Yeah why, yeah, why do you want to speed up the aging process? Why do you already want to be 65 and you're 40? Why do you already want to feel like you should be, as the conventional way of thinking is, already be in that retirement state? So it's, it's, I don't understand, man. It's just no, it takes it's, it's, it's kind of like no energy in yeah, that. And I don't want to sit there and feel like my end of days are already coming. Like, dude, I'm thinking my days are just beginning at this point. I'm, right. I look back and I'm like, okay, the 20s served their purpose. They were awesome. 30s were good. But I'm just like, right now, this, this decade right here, and trust me, 10 years from now, I'm going to be like 50, 51, saying the same thing. Like, wow, 
this is pretty awesome. And I know some people are probably like, 50, really? You going to be feeling like that at 50? That's, that's, that's close to 60. <laughs> like, well, at least you can still do your math. But <laughs> So big effing deal, man. I, it's funny, I was looking at um, this past weekend, on, uh, Oprah was interviewing Tina Turner. And Tina just turned 73. And her and her long-time partner, they just got married, I think, like a week or so ago. They've been together for three, almost 30 years now. But it was just so funny, and Oprah was asking Tina, like, was it hard for you to, like, stop, you know, touring and, you know, making music and things like that? And Tina was like, I don't want, you, you know, I don't want anybody to take it the wrong way here, but no, it was quite easy because that's what I worked so hard to do is to finally get here where I am now. She said, I feel, and, and I'm not running from the aging process. She's like, I feel fabulous at 73. And to be honest with you, dude, you can tell because she looks awesome at 73 years old. It seems like this woman does not age. And, and it's not plastic surgery and this, that, and the other. It's just the mindset that she's had during all this time. She's like, okay, I'm going to, she's like touring and all this other stuff is very tiring. Of course, she, she, she would talk about how she would sit in the dressing room right before a show. And right, probably, I probably said right around 2009 when she's getting ready to stop, it was to the point where she was just feeling exhausted. But of course, once the show started, and the, sh the lights go on, she turns on because she pulls in that energy. And, but then when it was done, she's drained. You and I talk about this all the time. Like even when we right. do workshops, like right. once it starts, boom, we're on. But then right. by the end of the day, man, you just feel like, whoa. <laughs> you're just feeling like you're toast because it takes so much energy to, to just to give, you know, what you have and share that talent and share everything with everyone That's and make true. sure that everyone who's invested in you and they pay for that workshop or pay for that concert they're going to get their money's worth and then some so it takes a lot when you're really trying to go above and beyond to over deliver so anyway she's like now i can really just sit back and enjoy my life she's like look i have the money i have the house i have the cars i have all that stuff but this is what i appreciate the most and that's right. to be here enjoying my life you know even at the same really enjoying my age and i mean let's be honest <laughs> you look at a lot of people around her age they're looking a lot of them look so beat up and tired like they are they have one foot in the grave right? where she's still vibrant or whatever because she chose to be that way. She's not giving in to this thought that, you know, you're too old now. You need to start thinking about, hey, you know what the next step is. You've pretty much done it all now, so you should start planning for that last day. She's like, no, I'm not thinking about that. I, have no, I, have no, I don't have the time to think about that. So here's someone at 73 with that attitude. Who the hell is someone that's 43 to sit there and think that way, to think right. that, you know, oh, well, I'm done now, man. I'm tired and. I just want to work and just, you know, come home and just sit and watch TV and, and just fall asleep with my hand in my crotch like Al Bundy. <laughs> no, it's, it, it, it's easy to fall into that trap of being defined by age and also to use that as an excuse, meaning that you know, even nowadays, sometimes I'll work out hard and let's say a couple of weeks of progress is not coming in a way that you're used to and you start thinking, oh, maybe I'm getting older. And then you realize, no, it's not because of that. It's because of, look, let's, let's take a real look at what's been going on the last exactly. couple of weeks. Your, your sleep hasn't been optimal. Your diet hasn't been as dialed right. in as it normally is. You're, you, you added a bunch of unnecessary exercises to the last several workouts. Yep. And uh, it's, it's, it's a combination of both those things. You know, it's, it's never just as simple as, oh, you're getting older now. And because, I mean, when, when people say that, they often, that's just a way of saying, your hormones are in decline, and this is falling apart. Your mobility is going. It's like, okay, well, what if I'm taking proper measures to keep the hormones optimal, and I'm doing mobility work so I don't tighten up and so forth, and I'm making sure I sleep? Then, then my age shouldn't be a factor right there. Right. That, that, that shouldn't be the primary reason for lack of progress in that arena. 
So, mm-hmm. so I think it's just too easy to make that a cop-out. It's like, well, I'm 40 now, so I can't push it harder. I'm 45 or I'm 50. You know what's crazy is when people tell me, like, well, you know, I'm, I just turned 30, and no one could believe that. <laughs> I'm like, no, no one could believe that I'm 30. It's like you're 30, okay? You're supposed to look young and youthful at 30. It's like what do you, what do you, what do you expect to look like at 30, gray hair and just falling apart? But that, that, that's, that's how attached people are to age, man. It's not, now people yeah, start man. thinking that 30 is old. Like, oh, I'm 30. I'm old now. It's like 30. Come on, man. It's just, it's just, it's just too funny, man. It's just, it's yeah, just I always like, laugh. I always laugh when um you get bombarded by some Facebook invite for someone's birthday party, and it was crazy. It's usually females. So, ladies, you know, you know this chick, and heck, it may even be you. Come celebrate so and so's 29th birthday party again. <laughs> and it, you know, or the fourth anniversary of blah blah blah's 29th anniversary, uh, birthday party. I'm like, are you oh, serious? Boy. Can you just be 33 now and just let it go and just move on? What was so special about 29 anyway? So move on, let it go. No, but you know, what? I kind of look at age now, and I, I go, when I was when I was 18, I would have loved to have the experiences I'm having now. Thank you. Meaning, meaning that when I was 18, I mean, I couldn't afford to go get a VIP table at a nice concert, go have a good evening, right. and and just go on a go on a nice trip somewhere, or you know, all these things I can afford to do now. And I'm still very I'm I'm healthier now than I was when I was 18, so I can still right. do whatever I wanted to do physically that I did then. But it's, it's just like my experience of life is so much better now because I still have the health. You have some wisdom. You have more experience. You're doing better financially. You have better people in your life. Right. So that, I mean, there's nothing about that time period of my life that I actually miss. Like when I hear people reminiscing about high school or college, I'm like, what? I mean, what have you been doing since then where you're looking back on that? Look at that. Remember, That's I, the best experience of your life. You know, it's scary. People used to tell me, oh, this, this is the like, people who are looking back and like, oh, you're in college. This is the best time of your life. I used, to think, I, used to, I used to think, you know what, uh, to be honest, my life kind of sucks right now. <laughs> and so if this is the best, then, then forget it. And that, that actually used to frighten me a little bit when I heard that. I was right. like, why, why would this be the best? And guess what? They were wrong, at least in my case. There's no way that was the best. Like, I, I, no. I don't look back on – I mean, I, I had a lot of good experiences back then too. But I don't look back and go, oh, I wish I could go in a time capsule back to that, uh, back to that stage of my life. No uh, way. Not at all. Because a, a, what came with that was also student loan debt, which I don't have anymore. <laughs> I don't want to go through that again. So when you want to talk about a sense of accomplishment is when you pay that sucker off, when you make that last payment, and yeah, you yeah, pretty yeah. much want to just throw a big middle finger to all those schools at that point, especially <laughs> when I'm, do, I'm, I'm successful and I'm doing everything I did not go to, really go to school for. I mean, I'm, I know. I know. my it's first university, I went there for psychology. You know, I don't have the degree, but I'm still dealing with psychology because in, in wellness and in fitness, we're dealing with a certain type of psychology there all the freaking time. But guess what? Didn't have to go get a degree for that. And trust me, all you do is just pay attention to people, shut up, listen to them, and, and really see where they're coming from and what's led them up to this point. And it kind of gets back to what Kelly was talking about, just this, this life coaching type therapy. And got to give it up. What we do is a certain type of therapy, not taking anything away from those professionals out there. But sometimes people feel a lot better coming to you and me than to go and sit there in a chair for 60 minutes, you know, and they're kind of looking at their clock, and then it's 50 minutes later, and I was like, okay, we're done. Well, dude, I was just kind of getting into it right now. Are you serious? We kind of get to the heart of the matter. Well, we've got to reschedule another meet, another, you know, time to meet up. Come on. So, 
Yeah, man. I don't. I don't ever. I don't. There's nothing about that time period that I really miss that makes me want to go back there. And one of the things I always say at, at my workshops, and I even said it when we were like did our last workshop together. I told everyone there. I said, look, the 41 year old sincere would love to go back in time. I, he can go back and kick 18 year old sincere's ass any day. That dude, <laughs> he would not stand a chance. A he would probably just be try to be as physical and try to show what he could do physically. Hey, I can do this, that, and the other. This sincere is a lot smarter. Like, okay, go ahead and do all that. Let him wear, let him rope a dope himself right out of it. The 18 year old one, and then okay, now let me show you how I'm going to defeat you. <laughs> okay, let me show you how I'm a little smarter than you, buddy, just because of the things you, you're doing right now. So even when it comes to just training, I look at the way I train. I, right. I was kind of going through um going through some bins, and I found like all my old workouts from like when I was 18 from my freshman and sophomore year in college, and I was just looking at some of that stuff. I was like, wow, this, this is some interesting training going on right here, so bodybuilder-based, and it's, right. it was amazing. And not that I was trying to become a bodybuilder. And I'm just looking at my diet at that time, looking at the things that I'm eating, looking at how many times I was eating, and, oh, gosh, I was like, when did I have time to actually have a life? Every, it seemed like every two hours I was eating something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Or down in shape. I would do phases like that too, especially when I first started training. So you you, you start kind of trying to make your life revolve around it. And the funny thing is that uh, it, it doesn't work as well as what I know now. So oh, yeah. it's, like, it's like you were spending more time to get less return. Right. So I, th- I think that's one thing about life is you, when you learn how to when you experience things, you learn how to refine things and become more efficient at it. So that's, yep. you know, like, if I go to the gym to work out, I go with, I never just show up without a plan. I know exactly what I'm going to do before I get there. And then I hit those five moves and I'm gone. I'm out the door. <laughs> yeah, and and, it, and it, it keeps you focused because you realize once you've hit those five moves, there's no reason to hit anything else. There's nothing else you need to do there. So, yeah. so don't add on a bunch of things. Don't, don't dig around over here. Just get the hell out of there. Do yeah, your don't, don't get into that lifting guilt like, oh, I got that done pretty quickly. I, maybe I should be doing something else. No. Right. <laughs> if you're doing the right, you know, the right movements for whatever your goals are at that time, you're hitting compound movements. The, obviously, you, honestly, your body doesn't want you to do anything else. It can only do so much at that point. Now, if you're just sitting there wasting your time and just focusing on body parts, then you probably can have some more time to do other stuff. But again, how effective is that really going to be, you know, in the long run? So now, when you hit the big movements, barbell squat, trap bar, deadlift, barbell clean, deadlift, you, you, you do those. Yeah, exactly. You do those first at the beginning of your workout. Yeah. And I, I mean that you're you're not going to have a lot of energy for a whole lot else. You know, mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna it's gonna be a battle of attrition to the rest of the workout. You you hit those moves hard, and then whatever else you need to do, you're just gonna get done. You're not gonna want to add in extra sets or waste any time, and you're gonna be out the door. So it's, it's kind of like when you take advantage. You only have 45 minutes to train. Guess what? That's that's more than enough to get. Oh, yeah. You're, you're almost better if you have that constraint because you're now you're not going to waste time at all. Like you have 45 minutes and you have to go get something else in. Well, you're not going. You don't have the luxury of wasting time for 90 minutes. And the reality is that actually helps you because if you had more time on your hands to just mess around, it would it, you would be more. It would be actually be counterproductive. Right. I mean, it's something to be said about streamlining and not just with your training, but even just, I was listening to a guy, I'm actually going to reach out to this guy. He was just, he's a, he's very big on being a minimalist. So it's just so many different arenas in, in your life that you can apply that to. When you start streamlining your training, your goals, your business, just your, even your personal life, just start taking, just start purging, get some of the stuff out of the way. Like, yeah, that's, am I really using this? And right. like I said, there's, it's a different type of hoarding going on. I mean, even in the gym, 
people have they become movement hoarders, exercise hoarders. Got to do this, got to do that, got to do this. Yeah, and then they wear like a badge of honor. Yeah, I train for two hours, man. I, every day I go in the gym, I train for two or three hours a day. Okay, are you an MMA fighter? Are you a pro athlete? Why are you in the gym so long? What Are you getting paid to be in there that long? Why are you there so long? What are you doing to have to sit there and be in the gym for two to three hours? Seriously. Right. You know, I'll spend a while. I do my cardio for an hour, then I do my lifting for an hour, and then I do my, my stretching and my cool down and my follow-up cardio for an hour. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's always important to look at the, the 20% that's responsible for 80% of your results. And that's right. always the way it's going to be. Like with your business, 20% of the actions you're taking are going to result in the majority of the benefits you're getting. And then there's right. going to be a lot of fluff around that. So you're like going, how do I emphasize that 20% and not waste as much time on other things? And, and you look at that in every facet of your life. Mm-hmm. And, but especially with training and so forth, it's it's, it's, I mean, one of the reasons why when people come to me and they start getting great results with online program design is because I focus their energy. I say, look, these are the things you're going to focus on, and that's it. So because mm-hmm. they want to follow, because they paid for my advice and they want to, they want to follow my advice, they're not going to add a bunch of things to that, and as a result, they get great results. Right. And a lot of times it was because I gave them a simplified approach. What they were doing before was very complex, so they either weren't able to keep up with it for a long duration of time or – or it just wasn't working. It was just, it was just a battle of attrition where they're getting more tired right. each week and getting less return. So here's that you streamline things to the point where they actually think there's no way this is going to work. This is too simple. It's too easy. And all of a sudden they get great results. It's kind of like what Kelly's advice. She's talking about how you, know, you start working with your hands more and that's going to improve your mood. You know, anyone who hears that is going to say, well, are you kidding me? There's no way that's the solution. I've been, Unless I've you came Blackburn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, his manual manipulation methods, he, he, he engages in that quite a bit. No, but it's like when we hear simple solutions like that, we often just we, we, we just go into this befuddled mode of there's no way that's the solution to this. And it's not always the solution. You know, sometimes right. complex problems do have a, require a more complex solution. But oftentimes we're, we're doing everything but what's actually going to be effective. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it was just like what she brought up, just putting, putting your meals together. And when you're sitting there cooking, and you, you brought that up as well, yeah, it's just yeah. something to be said. But I always see people like, man, I wish, whenever I would post food porn or whatever, I wish I could do that. You can. And guess what? Here's the beauty in it all. Not everything comes out perfect. Every, you know, but that's what makes it fun. You sit there and think, okay, what went wrong with that? Did I add too much of this? Did I not let this stay in there long enough? You actually really start trying to understand and, and fix the problem. And that's pretty much what our brains are there for, to problem solve. It's not just to have everything done for you and everything to be perfect. Otherwise, a lot of things that we enjoy in life wouldn't be here right now. Trust me, no one, Steve Jobs didn't just come up with an Apple computer and it was right out of the bat the best thing ever. It took some tinkering to go along with that. So right. there were some things that failed with that. And, well, Microsoft still fails at Windows right now. So <laughs> it's still not perfect. <laughs> so, I mean, just... Even just us doing this podcast, somebody had to sit there and experiment and experiment trying to come up with this idea of doing, bringing shows and putting it over the Internet and making it available. Somebody had to sit there and tinker with that, and there were some failures along the way. And through their failures and not giving up is how we're able to actually bring this show to everyone now. So they they did the dirty work. So why not step in and do the dirty work yourself sometimes? So, it, like I said, there's great joy in there. Whoever, like, was the first person that came over podcasting, 
you know, if they are still alive, they probably say, like, yeah, I did that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, it's cool. It's cool to be. I mean, I, I kind of look at my whole kettle, kettlebell career like that. I got in and there wasn't anything going on. There were no kettlebell gyms, no CrossFit gyms, no, 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 let's see, alternative type gyms with, with kettlebells and tires and ropes. None right. of that stuff existed back then. And now, now I see how much kettlebell training has grown, and I see it all over the place. It, it's kind of gratifying to have been one of those pioneers. Right. Started, and, and I don't like all of the different paths it's gone into. It's some of the mainstream silliness that's come you out. You don't like kettle work? Really? Are you hating right now? <laughs> uh, kettle works. What's the other one? Kettlenetics. The oh, kettlenetics. Oh, you, oh yeah. what I call the gimp, the gimp workout, because everything, like, <laughs> everything looks like the scene from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> it looks like a gag ball. <laughs> I'm like, seriously? I thought those things were supposed to go in people's mouths if they're into that S&M type thing. I didn't know you were supposed to work out with that thing. Yeah, those, those kettlebells are about as big as those little balls that people pull out of each other's ass. <laughs> oh, the beanwah workout. All right. Oh, man. Yeah, you, you know you have a good podcast when you can drop stuff like that, man. Yeah, when it comes like, you, know, you, know those, you know those little balls connected to a string that people like to pull out? It kind of looks like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. It does kind of look like that. <laughs> NYX, baby. <laughs> no, but it, it's kind of cool to see that, that there's a lot of other people now who make a living teaching largely kettlebell-based businesses. There's different certified bodies. It's all over the world, you know, n- traveling to other countries, and there's people that are really into kettlebell training. It, it's pretty cool, man. You go to South Africa, and there's a whole following of people that are oh, yeah. really into training. You go to Holland or UK or Dubai or any of these places. It's pretty cool, and, and that's the cool thing about the Internet and things like Facebook and Twitter is that it allows you to network with people all over the world so right. that you can have more in-person experiences. So that, that's the cool thing about all this social media, that the negative is when it becomes an end in and of itself where that's all it is. is now it's like, well, Friday night I'm going to hang out on, on Facebook and chat with people, or I'm going to get on I'm Skype. Gonna, I'm going to reply or, to everything I see in the feed. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's – I think, I think there's no better time to be alive and be an entrepreneur than now because there's so yeah. many kind of entrepreneurial pursuits that you would have been laughed at if you tried to do it before the Internet. Like create a kettlebell-based business where you teach workshops around the world. People would have laughed. They would have been like, are you kidding me? No one's going to go show up for that. that. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there wouldn't have been an effective way to get the word out there in a cost-effective manner where, you could even, where it would even be viable. And, and there's so many businesses like that now where – like, you know, now someone like me can come up with my own nutrition supplement line, put my label on it, and actually do well with it, while 20 years ago, forget it. I mean, you would have had to pour a ton of money into it, try to get advertising out there. Try Getting to get, GNC and all yeah, that. Yeah, try to get people familiar with your brand as opposed to now where you can make stuff, put your label on it, sell direct to the customer, cut out all the middlemen, and actually do pretty well with the modest amount of sales. You can actually create a nice little income for you. So it's, it's a pretty exciting time in a lot of ways to be alive. Exactly. Like there's there, the limits. There really isn't a limit now. The only limit is yourself. So if you sit right. there and you think like, I probably couldn't do that, then you probably can't. It's just really that right. simple. You know, right. at this point now, if you want to be an author, if you've always had like a book inside you, as they always like to say, and you've always wanted to write a book, there's no reason for you not to write one now. There's nothing stopping you but yourself. The technology is there. You don't have to worry about the big publishing house. We always talk about bands. You know, it will always, they, they're at the point now where they can actually put their own music out. They don't have to be at the mercy of the record labels anymore. DJs don't have to sit there and be at the mercy of 
can I DJ at a club, you know, in order to be heard and be known? They have the Internet now. They have so many file-sharing programs out there now that where they share their mixtapes with everybody and just give it to them for free, just like we were talking about these musicians who give their stuff away for free. Like right now, Nine Inch Nails is getting ready to drop another album I just saw on iTunes today. You can stream the album for free right now before it's even available. And they've done this a couple times now. So everything, the technology is there. The only limit now is really yourself. And this belief that it needs to happen right away, you, that you're going to be, let's say you want to put out a book, this belief that you think, like, I'm going to be the next Stephen King and I'm going to sell a million copies of my first book starting next week. I'm going to be number one. Well, it could happen, but most likely it won't happen that way. You've got to put in some work. No one knows who you are. So what right. are you going to do to get your, you know, get your name out there and your product out there and get people believing in what you're doing? So it's going to take some time because, A, now the power's in your hands and you make it happen. I mean, if you right. want to go through a publishing house and do all that stuff, but you've you got to dance through all types of hoops in order for that to happen. And guess what? A lot of times what you're going to get paid, you could, you could have made more by yourself because you no, have to you pay can, for all those yeah, hoops you're jumping so through. True. You're actually you can, paying you for can. the hoops you're jumping through. No, when they so give you a DM to go traveling, that's not yeah. your money. Okay, that's a loan. That's, they're hoping right. that they can get their money back. That's not exactly. your money. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever expenses they incur, they're going to take out of your royalties. Exactly. So it's, like, it's like, okay, we're going to give you this. We're going to give you this advance. It's like, well, guess what? Now, now you're not getting any more money until that advance has been reimbursed by your book sales, and then maybe you'll get something beyond that and so forth. So, I mean, it's kind of funny when I hear a lot of bands nowadays and different authors complain about how they're not getting support from publishing companies or from record companies. I was like, well, why don't you take charge of that yourself now? You know, because yeah. that's the kind of thing. You don't have to be at the mercy of someone else creating that infrastructure for you anymore. Like if you're in a band now, you could do a lot of stuff to fill the room or at least to help support that. Right. right? But the problem is a lot of bands just want to do the fun stuff. They want to write the music. They want to perform. make music. They want to perform. Yeah, they want to be artists. Like, oh, I don't want to deal with business and accounting and all that stuff. I was okay. like, well. You may get your wish when you don't have any money at the end of your career. Now you right. don't have it's to deal with the that. Yeah. Like whenever I hear people talk about that, like in our industry, we hear it all the time. Like, well, I don't want to deal with business and ad copy and promotion and all that stuff. Well, guess what? No one's going to be coming to your workshop, so you're going to get your, <laughs> you're gonna, your wish is going to come true, you know, because you're not going to have to deal with it because you're not going to have any business to deal with. I mean, that's right. just the reality there. So I think nowadays, like you said, you can write a book, self-publish it, and get it out there and actually make a pretty good income. With right. that, if you know what you're doing, and same thing with workshops. You don't have to rely on someone else to book everything for you. You can you can do what we do, where you write the ad copy, you book the registrations, you get people in the room. Honestly, I wouldn't have gotten anywhere if I relied on anyone else to do any of that for me, because no one was going to do that for me. When right. I started teaching kettlebell workshops, it's not like anyone was like, "Oh yeah, I bet that would sell at my gym. Sure, I'll promote that for you." Nobody right. wanted to. So I mean, I did, I did teach workshops in a park, so I didn't have a budget to even rent a place. But right. even, even finding a place to rent was difficult. Forget about them having kettlebells inside. That was already a given that they weren't going to have that. They didn't want you to do that workshop at their facility. Once they saw what you were doing, swinging kettlebells around and all that, right. I, remember, I remember at my apartment complex in Marina Del Rey, there was a hospitality suite where you could actually rent it out at no charge. You could just say, hey, I want to book this for whatever, private party. And I, I was like, oh, I'm going to start teaching my kettlebell workshops there. Of course, I didn't tell them I was going to use it for that. So I got away with using that room for a lot of my courses. And then eventually, <laughs> one of the managers walks by, and she's like, uh, what's going on in here? And she saw all these people swinging around, these heavy weights and so forth. And she starts thinking, like, man, if someone drops one of those, it's going to go right to the floor. 
So she was cool, and she didn't make a point of saying it then. But I, I knew right away the way she looked that I was going to hear about it. And sure enough, afterwards, she's like, look, we can't have you booking for that anymore. But, you know, right. that was the state of doing workshops back then. Nowadays, that, that's the least of your worries. There's a million CrossFit gyms that, that you can you – can, they'll either host you or you can pay a small fee to use it for, to promote your course, whatever it is. And, and finding a place that has kettlebells in sight, even around the world. That's not difficult anymore, and I've taught all over the world, so it's a it's a totally different landscape now. Right, definitely, man. Well, man, good looking out on getting Kelly on the show. That was pretty awesome. Like yeah, I was very excited cool. about that because when it comes to any type of, you know, that was a personal thing with Me depression. You know, we've all some of us have all experienced it some way somehow, whether it's personally on our own or someone in our family or with a friend. And it just really helps to just have that conversation about it because it's also it's one of those things where a lot of times people don't want to talk about it. It's kind of like what we talked about with human trafficking a few weeks back. It's right. one of those subjects people just kind of like, well, that's a personal issue, and I don't really want to talk about that because it's, it can be very uncomfortable. And sure. a lot of things we cover today are very uncomfortable to talk about with right. a lot of people, whether it's ADHD, autism, or just all the different you – know, just medication – and, and and relying on that and going to that right off the bat with dealing with depression and things like that. So it, it's good. Yeah, to have you kind of you kind of have two camps when it comes to depression. You have people that yeah. are saying they're they're overly medicated, or you have people who are saying, "Oh, stop being a pussy, just yeah. deal with it." And and both are flawed. Both are extreme. Right. So I mean, that's why I think it's important to have a topic like that and have her come back on again down the road would be cool, or have other people that are doing similar things would be cool. It's, it's one of those topics that I think most of us can relate to. Right, and especially even in our field, I mean, I don't think a lot of people really put two and two together, like how effective exercise and being active really plays a part in actually combating stages of depression. I say stages. Yeah, there are so some true. stages that are beyond working out. There are some stages beyond taking a walk or a meditative walk, as, we talk, as I talked about last week. It's some things that are far beyond that, and that's where seeking that professional really can help, but I say still – Seek a profession, but you got to find a profession that's going to be in tune to what is going on with you. It, it may take two or three different tries with someone else before you land that person. It's like trying to find the right doctor or, heck, even trying to find the right mate. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> right. you gotta, you gotta, it's a lot of trial and error going on there, and you got to find the one that's going to be the best fit with you. Even when you're getting a coach or a trainer, same thing. you got to find one that's going to be a good fit for you because we're all different. We all have our things. Some of us are type A, type B, passive-aggressive, very aggressive. So you got to find someone that can work with that. And, but at the same time, you got to pull the trigger and make it happen and not just sit there and just like, oh, it'll go away. And you try to act like it's not there. That's, that's one thing I, can, I think we can all agree on. That'll never work. Right. <laughs> just suppress like, ah, it'll, it'll just go away. Like it's just this real scar that will actually just heal itself. No. And right. sometimes there's some scars going on that we don't even know that are there. That's what therapy really helps. You start coming up and coming out of these dark places like, whoa. I suppressed it. I didn't even realize that even happened. I, right. Wow. So, right. like I said, so everybody's different. There is no one cure for everyone in one situation. So, like I said, great, great discussion, man. Looking Thank you, man. Yeah, it was great. So, that was a good time. So, uh, let's see. Let's go ahead and wrap up here. We For coupon code, folks, LLA gets you 10% off my nutrition supplements. My new systemic enzyme product, Restorezyme, I just got an update, will be out in about two weeks. So I'll have some detailed ad copy about that. It's going to be awesome, awesome inflammation control product. People are going to love it. In fact, if I could only take one supplement, that would be it. The Restore Zone, systemic enzymes is, is that beneficial. 
And then, let's see, I've got some workshops coming up. I've got New York City on the 15th, which is actually sold out right now. But email me on my website, and I'll put you on the waiting list. I've got about three people actually on the waiting list. So this is actually a good problem to have when you have so much demand that you have a waiting list. But email me, get you on the waiting list. That'll be, we'll see if we can get you in. Then October, teaching with Dan John and Sabina Scala in the U.K., then teaching the following weekend in Ireland. And that's it. And like we've said a million times, I'll be taking a break from workshops for a while. I'll see what uh, definitely November, December, I'll assess what my what I'll be doing next year. But my plan right now is to take at least next year off from workshops, and then we'll see. You know, maybe this this show will start really blowing up for us, where you and I decide let's start putting some events together around the show. If that's something you folks would like to see, let us know, because yeah. that's that's the kind of stuff that's going to determine whether you know we put on events like that or not. If, we put out a feeler and say, what do you guys think about this? And we don't get any response. You know, we're not going <laughs> to, probably not going to go through with that one. Right. <laughs> so let us know. And then give us, and then give us a review at iTunes as well. All right. Yeah, speaking, of, show on yeah. there. speaking of iTunes, I uh, just saw today that we were listed in the what's hot section on under, um, under, oh, see, I just went blank. I posted the picture of, I took a screenshot of it and put it on our fan page on the oh, okay, LLA cool. podcast. But, oh, we're under, yeah, under the self-help section. We're listed as, what's hot as far as podcast shows out there. So oh, cool. thanks to everyone that support and keeping those reviews coming. Um, lots of, lots of great reviews on there. We love your feedback. Any honest feedback, we love it. And it just only helps us improve the show more and more. So don't feel like, well, I, you know, this is what I'm feeling. I don't want to say that cause I don't want to offend them. But my thing is, you know, don't be a douche and just to be, just to be negative for the fact of being negative. But my right. thing is, if it's really something, you know, just constructive criticism or if it's constructive praise. <laughs> so, yeah. and there, there is a situation, there is a difference. There is right. such thing as constructive praise. There's, there's stroking. And then there's just like, Hey, I like what you guys are doing because of this, <laughs> you know? So we appreciate any, any feedback you guys give us like that. So thanks a lot for everyone that's given us reviews. Um, as far as what I have going on, just as far as my digital download of my Bodyweight DVD, use the coupon code LLA, get 30% off of that. I'm still working on the Metabolism Rehab Coaching Program. Um, as that develops, I will let everyone know here on this show uh, where you can go find out more information about that and get registered with that. So other than that, it's been a great week. And Keep the feedback coming, folks. We appreciate it. Thanks yeah, a lot. Yeah, so we have this, – this is going to be a fun week because we got the UFC tomorrow on free TV, and we got another one this weekend. So, I mean, uh, looking forward to those. It's going to be a fun week. Yeah, and we'll talk about that next week for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cause Sounds good, man. man. I, I like that. That's, that's a nice matchup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait for that. That's going to be cool. So, uh, folks, have a great week, folks. Thanks for supporting the show. And we'll see you next time. Take care.